Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Thursday. Is it Thursday, guys? It is Thursday. It sure Thursday. is. Thursday. Okay. Thursday, October 11th, 2018, starting at 3.20 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 175th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the uh, production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologers Kelly Surtees and Austin Kopic about the signs of the Zodiac, and this is going to be part one of our two-part series where we're going to go through and talk about the qualities associated with each of the signs. So in this episode, we're going to do the first six signs of the Zodiac, um, Aries through Virgo, and then in the follow-up episode, we'll do the rest of the signs probably next month. Uh, so hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for hey, having hey. us. Welcome back. We had a little pre-show chat, got a little warmed up, and I think we're we're in good spirits today. So this is something we've been meaning to do for a while. Thanks a lot for joining me for this. We've got a big task in front of us to do all 12 signs, but we're going to try and tackle the first six today, I think. Yes, half, just half. That is half. the plan. Uh, I have actually been. I'm three or I'm like four months into doing my horoscope column over the past few months. The video horoscopes. And do you guys ever, towards about halfway through that process, really start cursing whoever decided that there should be twelve signs of the zodiac rather than some more manageable number of like four or five? Like five, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, twelve is a. I mean, it takes a while to get used to the fact that twelve is substantial, and it's more marathon than sprint. You got to you got to keep your momentum up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I will jump around I, uh, instead of just doing them in order. Um, I'll be like, oh, okay. I don't feel like writing that Sag one. I'll jump to Pisces. Sometimes I do them backwards. Um, <gasps> sometimes I'll do the first six from Aries to Virgo, and then I'll do the the next six from Pisces to Libra. So they meet in the middle. Just anything to, I don't know, keep it interesting. That's smart. I like that. I would only worry that I would wake up one night and realize I forgot to write one for like Libra like a month later or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in awe, Austin, that you bounce. I'm like, I've thought about that. Like, should I do a different sign? And then I, I've just obviously something and so I just do them in order every time. And I just get very happy when I get to Pisces, which yeah. I always find the easiest one to write, probably for personal reasons. Yeah. Person, yeah. You know, who knows why? It's yeah, not like you had I don't know why there. that is, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that it's um, any glorious innovation. It's just you know, it's just my my undiagnosed ADD. Yeah, your lack of rule following. Sure. So um, yeah, so we'll get into that. Well, that's actually an issue because we're going to start. We're going to go through these in order. We're going to start with Aries, right? We're not doing any jumping around today. No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not no, today. Okay. <laughs> All right, but um, we're going to start with some basics first, right? Yeah, so this is exciting because this is kind of a follow-up where we did one really great, really amazing, like foundational episode on the seven the the significations or the meanings in astrology of the seven traditional planets, like a couple of years ago. And I that's totally become, forgot about that episode. That was a really good. I mean, we did a really amazing foundational discussion, and people always talk to me about that episode and always refer back to it because for a lot of people, the podcast is something they're finding pretty early on in their studies, and so we've really been. You know, teaching people astrology and teaching people the basics. So this is a good continuation of that, where we did the planets basically, and now it's time to talk about the other one of the other you know really fundamental factors of astrology, of course, which is the signs of the zodiac. And the 
meanings or the qualities that astrologers uh, associate with those signs. So very quickly before we get into that, one of the things we were talking about before we got started is how all three of us sort of have a very similar approach to astrology, and that that might be like relevant context where each of us started off as modern astrologers, then we learned traditional or older forms of astrology, and then all three of us have kind of naturally developed a sort of um, very similar synthesis of modern and traditional astrology at this point, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And it is an interesting point that our individual lineage or pathways is that we did start with modern first. So our experience is actually different from people who are coming into astrology now and starting with traditional or older forms of astrology first. But just because not to say one's better or worse, it's just it is different. The information is being layered in in different ways. Right. Yeah, definitely. I would say, yeah, I started, you know, my first references were the uh, the Noel Till books, but I didn't have a teacher. And so oh. I, I really just sat with the diagrams. I was just like sitting with, okay, these are the signs. These are the modes. These are the elements. You know, these are these planets rule here, exalted here. And I was just trying to, I was just kind of sitting with the diagrams until Chris invited me down to Project Hindsight in 2006. And that was like, and here's a bunch of new stuff. But yeah, um, I, I would say that my initial education was sitting alone with the diagrams and doing um, hit and miss chart readings for people for $5. <laughs> that was my school. <laughs> it's right. actually a really good school. Yeah. It worked for me. I guess that was the, the pedagogical method that I needed or yeah, at least deserved. Yeah, the immersion style. Did you study with anyone, Kelly, or did you... Yeah, I well, I the self study for sure, but I was very young when I started studying astrology by myself. I was like eleven years old, and I would sit under the big maple tree we had in my parents' front yard, and we had a deck, and I just loved reading outside. So I had my astrology book, and I remember reading things like try and try to memorize. Aries is a cardinal fire sign, you know. Aries is a sign of independence. Like very rote learning, but some of the basics you just got to get those keywords in. And then, you know, fast forward to seven or eight years later, and I did have a teacher who was very uh, psychotherapeutic, but also had this weird connection to India um, because she was from, I think, the Sannyasin Indian or Sannyasin faith of some kind to do with a particular temple in part of India. So it was very modern, but very soulful at the same time. And I studied with her for a couple of years to get, you know, all the basic um, sort of modern techniques, if you like, and then dived into learning some of the older techniques through going to conferences and hearing lectures by people that I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then, and funnily enough, then my teacher started to get into some of the older stuff. So we would chit chat back and forward about that. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, and, and for me, I was self-taught for the first four years of my study, just reading largely just different astrology books and and reading a ton of modern astrology books, and then went to Kepler and ended up sort of being forced to study traditional astrology and getting into it through that route. Um, yeah, I, I love that, that you were forced and look right. where you are now. I actually just wrote my – I finished writing the foreword to Demetra George's new book on uh, Hellenistic astrology just a few weeks ago and submitted it. And I'm excited about that since she was my introduction to Hellenistic astrology. And that's going to be a great book. And it's nice, yeah, being able to write the foreword and have a full, full circle type experience. That's really beautiful. And I had something similar a couple of years ago where one of those first astrology books that I read way back, 
um, was by an astrologer named Shirley Soffer. And I just assumed that she wouldn't sort of be in this world anymore. But I met her at a SOTA conference about two years ago. And it was like meeting your astrological rock star because um, just her very simple astrology source book had helped get me started. Sure. So it's lovely when you get that link. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, all right. So let's get into, we're going to talk about the qualities of the signs of the Zodiac. And one of the things I think we talked about briefly that's probably applicable and worth reiterating here that we talked about in the planets episode is one of the issues is astrology is based on, or, or a large part of the underlying presumption I feel like with astrology is there's this underlying idea that things called or that we might call, we often label as archetypes exist. And that with the planets, that's really easy to see where there's some like overarching notion of what that planet means, but it can't be articulated. You can't find a word that perfectly encapsulates everything a planet means in astrology and all the significations it has. So what you end up doing is talking about many different ways that it can manifest in different contexts. And so that's what we did with the planet series. And I feel like that's kind of what we're going to end up doing a little bit with the signs of the zodiac as well, which also have sort of archetypal dynamics or archetypal energies. So is that an appropriate way to sort of contextualize this? Or how do you guys feel about that? Is that too psychological sounding? Well, no. I mean, it depends. So we're not just talking about archetypes in a strictly in your head sense. We're talking about metaphysical or reality archetypes, Mm. right? Um, and so as long as we're using, you know, a slightly more platonic version of archetypes and a slightly less exclusively depth psychology definition of archetypes, you know, the, I would say this, you know, quasi Platonist idea includes the psychological, right? Cause if they exist everywhere, they also exist in your head. Um, but they also exist outside of your head or else, uh, or else you couldn't do events with astrology. You could only do experiences. But yeah, I mean, once right. you once you get the once you approach and the more you understand the essence of a sign or a planet, you can articulate what it looks like in any and every context, right? Mm. Which is thousands and thousands of words. You know, I think of um, you know, I think of some of the older texts, like uh, in particular, I'm thinking of uh, Al Biruni, where it's like, okay, in terms of places. You know, uh, Scorpio is a swamp in terms of, um, you know, people, Scorpio is this in terms of stones, Scorpio is, is this in terms of body parts, Scorpio is, you know, they're, it's all, it's the same, you know, uh, archetype for lack of a better term, um, as it manifests in every different area you can think of. And you can, you know, you can find that archetype in anything that you can think of. Right. So we'll, we will talk about the sometimes the psychological manifestations or like the character associations with the signs of the zodiac but the discussion won't necessarily be limited to that and and even when we do go into character traits or other things like that that we're associating with the signs that has to be understood as as like a character or psychological manifestation of the archetype and that that could be interchangeable with a more literal manifestation as well absolutely and we should probably talk about some of those as well. What is it? What is what do Aries events look like in a life? Mm. What is an Aries personality? What is you know yeah. what is an Aries health problem? Right. Yeah, these are really good. even the health problems. I really like that. You know what what are the and how do you how can you sort of almost diagnose 
without necessarily knowing exactly the astrology. But when you know the symptoms, you can be like, that looks and feels like an Aries thing, or that's more like a Taurus thing. Yep. Yeah. Right. Or or like an event chart, like an electional chart, like what does a Aries rising, like wedding electional chart look like versus what does a... <laughs> I had, yeah, um, I had a couple contact me years ago and they were contemplating getting married in the middle of competing in a sporting event. And I was like, that sounds a little bit like an Aries themed wedding. Um, right. I was was like, that's different, but that would fit this tone basically. Of course, the two of them had lots of fire planets in their chart or what have you. So it was very relevant for them. Totally. I love that. All right. Yeah. Well, so we were going to start by first talking about when we go through each of the signs, the zodiac. Um, one of the things that I talk about in my book, um, Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, available in fine bookstores everywhere, <laughs> is that uh, the signs of the zodiac in the Western astrological tradition, there's really uh, four primary qualities that are associated with each of the signs of the zodiac from which all of their other significations are derived from. And this is the gender of the sign of the zodiac, which is masculine or feminine. This is the modality or what's sometimes called quadruplicity, which is cardinal, fixed, or mutable. Uh, It's also the third quality is the element or triplicity, which is earth, air, fire, and water. And then finally, the fourth um, primary quality or property associated with each sign is the planetary ruler such as Mars being associated with Aries, Venus with Taurus, and so on and so forth. So those are the four, I think, primary qualities that are going to be overlapping qualities that are unique to each of the signs of the zodiac that we're going to expand on a little bit as we go through this. Well, Um, I I would just jump in and add that the image is also a primary quality. Each of them has an image, and much is done with those images. Um, both traditionally and contemporarily, that an image is on a image is a different form of category than ruling planet or division into two, three, or four. But image, I would say at least for my part, I would say image is one of those fundamental categories. Let Let's talk about that because that's actually something I've struggled with conceptually because the image is originally at least theoretically derived from the constellation, but Within our context, for the three of us, we're actually going to be talking about the tropical zodiac, which is no longer aligned with or no longer associated with the constellations, and therefore some of those images still carry over. So you would be not associating with the constellation, but you're talking about the image as being maybe inspired by or still relevant in terms of its overall like archetypal significance in some way. Absolutely. And um, if we're talking about the association of images with constellations, um, you can make a good, uh, an excellent <clears throat> case that none of those star clusters actually look any like anything like any of the images, mm. and that the association, or that you could pick a hundred other things that fit those star clusters just as well, and that those images are actually um, archetypal images that. Um, people intuitively or for through whatever method um, associated with that that system of twelve, um, and that it's actually a system of archetypal images which were pinned to stars and can be equally as well pinned to the division of twelve uh, with the tropical zodiac. Because, dude, you know, if you look up, Aries doesn't look like a ram. No. <laughs> Cancer doesn't look anything like a crab. Maybe Scorpio looks a little bit 
Scorpio might be the the best fit, but you know, it's not like you look up and you're like, that's totally a water bearer. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of that idea of the forms and causes of things, you know, like the essence of something, the expression of it. It's not I, – I agree in that idea that it's not meant to be a literal thing. It's meant to be the symbolic or something to evoke the essence of. Sure. And that and that it almost then also extends to the glyph, or I don't know how much you guys extend that to the glyph. Like with the planets, that's a little bit easier because the planetary glyphs, even though they – may have been developed much later. The glyphs, the symbols that we use for the planets were developed much later than the the meanings were. Maybe the, the symbols that are used for the signs of the zodiac may also be relevant images to some extent in terms of understanding the symbolic symbolism of the sign. Yeah, they're de- they can definitely use them as keys. Sure. Yeah. All right. So we'll maybe we'll talk about those or touch on those a little bit as well. Okay. Do we want to say anything else or do you guys want to say anything about those other four qualities though, gender, modality, element, and then planetary ruler before we jump into our first sign of the Zodiac? Um, yeah. So um, what I would just say um, that I I tend to refer to the gender as polarity just because, oh, I don't know, we're in an age where we're kind of rethinking um, masculine and feminine. Those are really loaded terms. Um, and I, I think you can get to exactly what they're, what is being pointed to by those terms with, uh, just for me, cause I've done Chinese martial arts for 20 years, um, yin and yang, right? You have an active, you know, yang is active, radiant, assertive, loud, bright, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, yin is receptive, reactive, reflective, nurturing, supportive, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the same sort of division of things into, you know, uh, yin and yang, day and night, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I feel like using, uh, I find that using uh, gender as the lens for exploring polarity is somewhat arbitrary um, because we can use other natural um, polarities to under to understand exactly the same concept, and also you know I've done a bunch of Chinese martial arts, so I've been trained to think in terms of yin and yang. And Kelly, you also use the same terminology, right? Or prefer that, or do you? Yeah, yeah, I do often um, refer to yin and yang, uh, or just to try and be clear when I say masculine and feminine that I'm talking about the archetype or the essence of something that is masculine, which is different or distinct from something that might be male, and then the essence of something that is feminine rather than explicitly female. So it's a little bit um, maybe splitting hairs on the word choice, but just trying to be really clear. And then, you know, it, it depends on the group sometimes. Sometimes people are really clear on that distinction um, and other times, you know, we'll we'll talk about the yin and yang just to make it really clear that, you know, it's like an introverted tone versus an extroverted tone. Um, so in some ways, it's like there are starting points. I think, Austin, you mentioned the idea of a key. And each of these things, the four factors, um, they're all, each of them is a key or a clue to part of the meaning of the zodiac sign. And the images come into that, the polarities, the the elements, the modes, that type of thing. It's because each sign is a unique mix of those factors. And that's part of how we get the meaning. So uh that's that's th- these are like the absolute basic building blocks, I guess. Yeah. And right. just to just to jump in, um like we we're talking about with um sort of 
the archetype on its own terms versus archetype in a particular context. Um, I feel like the way that uh, yin and yang are, are used and understood um, is archetypal and that when we're talking about uh, human bodies, then yin and yang look like male and female. Mm. When we're talking about um, uh, we're talking about the, the rhythm of time, yin and yang are day and night. When we're mm. talking about temperature, yin and yang are cold and hot, right? Yeah. But like the, the masculine and feminine and the male and the female are um, um, expressions of yin and yang at particular levels. They are not the essence of the concept of polarity, which is what we are looking for. Mm. Right. And, and in the Western tradition, I mean, one of the things that I explored is that the original philosophical or metaphysical or conceptual motivation for assigning gender was the idea that like odd the odd signs are basically associated with the masculine and the even even signs are associated with the feminine so like ones for example are, are number one which is aries is um said to be a masculine sign and then number two taurus is a feminine sign so it was that alternation based on Mm. numerological principles which is fundamentally that's sort of what you're getting at Austin that while it can have a manifestation a literal manifestation of let's say physically like male or female or what have you uh it's pointing to there's a deeper underlying principle that's pointing to a deeper underlying metaphysical or numerological symbolism that's there yeah and so in some cultures the masculine and feminine might be a perfect way to communicate that for other cultures, day and night might be the perfect way to communicate that, whatever. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I try to get it back to first principles and go from there. Um, but yeah, and there's, it's one of the things that's interesting about the zodiac is that you always have the alternation of yin and yang. It's always, you know, you, there's no, there's no two yangs in a row. There's no two yins in a row. No. It's always, you know, um, uh, yin, yang, yin, or yang, yin, yang, yin, yang, yin. And so that tells us something about the way that the zodiac is describing time, right? That it, there's this, um, there's a repolarization when anything changes signs where it goes from active to, you know, uh, supportive or responsive, um, and then back to active and assertive. And so, uh, I think it's also worth just noting we should probably move on. Um, that two of the elements, um, fire and air are both yang because they're active light. They do stuff. And then water and earth are yin water drops down. Earth just sits there until it is moved. That is yin receptive, holding, supportive, nurturing, right? Whereas air is always whipping around and fire is always changing things and moving around. And so the, the elements and the concept of polarity are, uh, inherently married. Yeah. And the only, because I know Chris, you listed the four and Austin, you threw in the images there as well. The only other piece that I do uh, consider, which is not necessarily needing to be in the top four, but it's that idea of the combinations of hot and cold and wet and dry and how when we alternate, we move from one sign to the next, those uh, sort of core qualities, if you like, change as well. So that's something that usually informs how I'll describe a particular sign. Which is right. a product of the elements. It is. It's like um, the elements are broken into a combination of two of those. So water, for instance, would be a combination of cold and wet, uh, if you like. 
And, and I run into an issue there because there was a, a break in the tradition where initially they were using the Stoic qualities. So Valens describes, you know, water as um, wet, I believe, mm-hmm. and air signs <laughs> primarily air signs, wet. Yeah. yeah, and air signs is cold. But well, that's but that's you know worth mentioning because then yeah. it, it flips in the medieval tradition and it becomes they start using Aristotle's qualities so that um, air is what it's moistening. Hot. It's hot and moist are the the ones that are typically used, right? And then yeah, and then water is what cold, cold and moist. Yeah, got it. Um, yeah. So that's but a they're whole... both moist, which was perhaps different from yeah. well, the we do, we do know that fire is hot and water is wet and earth is dry. We do, sure. Um, yeah, but those qualities definitely we can we can get into that. Um, it's so interesting because the three of us all teach, we teach different like intro to astrology classes. And so it's interesting having three different teachers come together, even though we all have largely similar approaches, as I said at the beginning, how there will be sometimes like those little minor differences or something. Yeah. So it's going to be fun and interesting as we go through this to explore even some of that. Yeah, totally. absolutely. So then there's, um, then there's the three, right? So each sign is divided in a modal, or excuse me, each sign is of one mode. There are three modes. Um, and it's, uh, I guess one quick way to talk about it is cardinal signs are about our beginning active energy, also called movable because they get things moving. Uh, fixed signs continue whatever motion. They're, they're momentum signs. They're sustaining signs. And then mutable signs um, shift things and transform things and adapt. And so this is very I, one of the one of my teaching metaphors is a chess game. Um, there's a very there are very different strategies um, and sort of experiences of what is your opening gambit that's cardinal. What is yeah. your mi- what is your mid game look like that's fixed, and then end game. And that's mutable. And endgame, you just have to adapt to however it worked out. And that's uh, a quality that all mutable signs have. They're like, okay, so this is the situation. How do I adapt to this? Whereas Cardinal's like trying to create a reality and, you know, fixed is, you know, is either just continuing on with what is or hopefully continuing the Cardinal plan. But you always get to that shift space, which is mutable. And every season in the Tropical Zodiac, the first third is cardinal. Let's get it going. The middle third is fixed. It's still happening. And then the last third is mutable where the weather's starting to change. The, that, that 90 day, 90 ish, 91 day arc is sort of coming to an end. And you're start of, sort of starting to see what's coming next, but you got to wrap up what's happening. And that's mutable. Right. And, and that seasonal, you mentioned the seasons, that seasonal context is how Ptolemy explains it in the mm-hmm. second century explicitly saying that the cardinal signs are at the beginning of the season where there's a sudden shift into a new you know temperature and climate and stuff like in the in the northern hemisphere here we just recently had the fall uh equinox where suddenly you know it's it, uh, the days started getting uh shorter and leaves started changing and everything else so the cardinal signs being associated with the beginning of the seasons where there's a shift to something new the fixed signs being associated with the middle of the seasons where you're right in the middle of it and there's not a lot of change. It's just the fullest sort of expression of whatever the quality of that season is. And then finally, the mutable signs at the end where it starts to move from the stability in the first part of the season to tra- getting ready to transition into something new and sort of wrapping up that which is is coming to completion. 
Yep. And those, um, that sequence is true. Northern hemisphere, Southern hemisphere, et cetera. You have beginning, middle and yeah. end of a season, cardinal fixed, mutable. fixed and mutable. Yeah. Right. No, it's, ahead, and Sean. that weather metaphor, um, is, it's this, I use exactly the same, um, story when I teach, you know, the middle season. I'm now that I moved to Canada, I'm like, this is late January and February where it's winter and it's just more winter. There's right. no changing. But in Sydney, that time is just hot and it's all hot, you know, and that's the fix. That's when the sun's going through Aquarius. So it's that consistency. And then in the last month of the season, you know, the weather is just crazy. It's like you could be, uh, you could have a really cold day and you could have a really hot day and that's the mutable period so yeah and in like the inconsistency to it the inconsistency yeah. and the variety if you like yep and a little bit of little bit of um little bit of the next season creeping into this one yeah right uh and yeah. i would also say the the fixed signs you know which are between the solstices and equinoxes are also host to a bunch of festivals like halloween and Samhain. cross quarter festivals it is the cross yeah. quarter right then there's may day yeah. and maypoles and that's the opposite cross quarter in the middle of the spring and there's candle moss yeah. and all that so and since we mentioned the seasonal thing it might be we've talked about this before at length on the forecast episodes i don't know which one but it's probably come up a few times but it might be worth mentioning at this point because we're using the tropical zodiac which of course is and it indirectly tied in with the seasons because it's based on the equinoxes and the solstices, which then are tied into when the seasons change, when the sun hits those turning points. But you know, it might be worth mentioning that sometimes a lot of the astrology books written in the northern hemisphere sometimes will describe the signs of the zodiac in the context of the specific season that they match with, um, but that becomes somewhat problematic when you're dealing with charts in the Southern Hemisphere where the seasons are flipped or, or reversed. So I know in the past we've talked about how you guys don't necessarily like to tie the signs into the seasons too closely as a result of that, right? Well, I like to tie them in as tightly as they actually tie in, which is they Through you the know quadruplicities or modalities. Well, yeah, because the you know the the three modes are the it is a, a three-part act for each season. It's just that Aries isn't spring. Aries is the beginning of, you know, of, of that season, which is, mm. you know, which is the beginning of autumn in the southern and um, spring in the north. And so it is the beginning of a season. It has that energy. Um, but, you know, I can't describe it in terms of it getting, um, you know, uh, uh, I can't describe it in terms of uh, spring metaphors. But I can describe it in terms of it's the beginning of a season. It's the beginning of moving away from the equinox, from a point of balance, into a whole nother season. Because that's true everywhere. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, and studying in Australia originally, where the seasons are different from the Northern Hemisphere, obviously, um, you know, we we sort of learned the core qualities of Aries and the core qualities of Cardinal, but without having the almost... Um, like sometimes when people have learned the seasonal metaphors, they're very that it's harder for them to see the nuance nuances between you know this is just the essence of Aries. It doesn't have right. to be explicitly spring. This is what you know a planet in Aries will do or look like or what have you. So, was yeah. that something though you noticed when you were sometimes reading like astrology books that were written in the northern hemisphere that people would invoke that metaphor occasionally and it wouldn't necessarily be applicable? 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, one of my brothers is an Aries, and he's very true to the type, like the archetype, if you like, or the essence of Aries. Even though technically he's not born in the springtime. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what we can say is that Aries begins both spring and fall in different it's, parts. It of begins, the Earth. yeah. It initiates. It, it, it initiates both at once, right? Yeah. Libra begins both at once, and yeah. then it has qualities that are not anchored to that you know to the seasons at all in addition to those which are related to the seasons yeah sure okay so uh that's the modalities or quadruplicities we're making great time here yeah. with our little brief five minute intro <laughs> segment yeah uh no that's fine i think this is really good a good setup so um element or i can do i can do elements in one minute okay Go. i dare okay. you so um, the elements describe uh, different types of matter on a literal level. Um, they also describe how things move, right? Water sinks down. Water, you can, it, it has volume, it has mass, but it has no shape, right? Water is adaptable. Water is receptive. Anything you pour into the water, drop into it, the water holds. Earth holds its shape, right? Earth is substantial and it holds its shape. Or, you know, if an event is earthy, it's solid. It's it's something that uh, something substantial has happened. Those are the two. Those are the two yin elements. Fire changes things and requires fuel. It puts out the most energy of any of these states of matter, um, but is therefore the most dependent on fuel and makes the most change. Uh, air constantly moving around, but it's not as the changes that it makes are not as substantial um, and as acute as those of fire. Nonetheless, air is constantly moving, just like fire. Those are the two young elements. Nice job. Okay. Very Thanks. good. Uh, yeah, I love that. So, And we're going to get into different like mutations of that because there's things like when you, you basically when we get into the science of the zodiac, we'll start seeing overlapping qualities and what the difference is between, let's say, uh, Scorpio, which is a water sign, but it's a fixed water sign. And what fixed water looks like or how that manifests versus, let's say, Pisces, which is a water sign, but it's mutable according to card its mode or its uh, quadruplicity and how that manifests a different version of like the water archetype, basically. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Shall we begin? So those are the elements. And then, well, the very last thing is just the planetary ruler. The planets. Yeah. And that is something that we don't need to get into hugely. I mean, we have the... I think we're going to be using the traditional rulership scheme, so maybe it's worth mentioning that. That I think uh, the three think, of us. Use. I, I think we probably will. Do we all agree on this? I think we are. Well, you know, not everyone's on the same page. We are no, no. the three. Of I us know the are, three of but... us. Yeah, for, by we, the three of us. Yes. Yeah, the royal we. The royal uh, we. <laughs> so we're going to use that, and that's basically it's a symmetrical system where you assign the two luminaries to uh, Cancer to the Moon and the Sun to Leo. And then each of the the traditional or the visible planets are assigned to the signs flanking out from there on either side of the two luminaries. So Mercury to Virgo and Gemini, then Venus to the next two signs, then Mars, then Jupiter, and then finally Saturn to the furthest signs from the two luminaries, which is Capricorn and Aquarius. So um, when we get into the individual signs, we'll talk more about which planet is associated with each sign because that becomes a major source of meaning for the signs of the zodiac as well which planet is associated with it yeah and that'll be the, i mean the three changes if if 
our listeners are more uh, modern in their training are for Pisces, which is traditionally ruled by Jupiter, Scorpio, which is traditionally ruled by Mars, and Aquarius, which is traditionally ruled by Saturn. So we'll talk a lot more about um, those particular iterations, I guess, in part two, but we will talk about the planets as they relate to the first six signs today. Right. That's an interesting point because all of those are in the second half of the sign. So we won't even really get to fully deal with that until that point, until the second part. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be able to do the comparison, the the, the Mercury comparison today because we have both Mercury signs in the first half of the Zodiac. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, I think we are ready then. Our little warm-up is, I think, complete. So why don't we get into the very first sign of the Zodiac? And this is the the sign that's always traditionally been more or less labeled as the first sign of the Zodiac. Um, and you know, the actual typical reason for that is usually, again, due to the Northern Hemisphere-centric development of Western astrology. I think part of that rationale originally was that it was because it's the sign that coincides with the vernal equinox, which is the start of it is the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere where everything starts growing and developing. So I don't know if there's any other like objective reason to start with Aries as the first sign of the Zodiac I, other than that, or do you have I, one? I think historically it was, um, uh, it was primarily a Persian thing. Um, and that, that, that was part of the, that was, that's sort of a quiet Persian contribution that it may have, that may have been inherited from earlier Mesopotamian, um, protocols, but. I believe that the starting with the Aries equinox, the Aries equinox, or starting with Aries because of the vernal equinox is Persian in origin. Uh, you know, the Egyptians started with Cancer because um, that's when the flooding of the Nile happened. But you can, yeah, you can make a good argument for quote unquote beginning at pretty much any of either of the solstices or either of the equinoxes. Sure. Yeah, I think one of the other pieces that um, comes into Aries as the beginning is that part of the reason. The Persians um, perhaps did that is that that's actually when they celebrated their New Year festival. Um, and so it wasn't just like the start of spring necessarily. I mean, maybe that's why they had their New Year then. But even in um, U- the UK up until the late 18th century, I think, they actually celebrated New Year um, on that March equinox. So there's a lot of celebrations even distinct from astrology and Aries specifically that talk about a new year starting or a new beginning at that time of year in March. And I don't think that anything about Aries needs to be the first in order to, uh, in order for its symbolism to be its symbolism. You know, I'm a big fan of the, the Thema Mundi, um, variant where the, the circle starts, you know, with cancer. With cancer. Right. So in the, in the mythical birth chart for the birth of the world that was used as like a teaching tool in Hellenistic astrology. It had cancer rising as as the first house and Aries was actually the 10th house. Right. Because where do we start? We start by being born of the mother, cancer. Mm. Beautiful. Sure. So, and that that's worth mentioning then as one last precursor, which is one other theoretical construct that we could use that I don't think we're probably going to use or that the three of us don't usually employ is the the modern sort of interchangeability between signs and houses where where sometimes in the past few decades it's become popular to associate Aries saying that that, since that's quote-unquote the first sign of the Zodiac or or could be for various reasons that 
that should be associated with the first house. And then since Taurus is the second sign, that Taurus should be associated with this, the second house and so on and so forth. That's not, not I mean, is that a, an approach or a construct that you guys use at all? Hard no. Hard no. Yeah, my um, my ability to articulate, delineate, and understand houses improved vastly when I um, cured myself of that virus. Um, since I got off that course of antibiotics, um, I can see that there is some resonance with some signs and houses. It's not. It's not that there is zero relationship between the two twelves, um, but they are very different. And you will mm. do yourself um, much more harm than good by conflating them. Like keep them separate, and then note where there's resonance, but don't don't conflate them. You're, you're it'll ruin both the signs and the houses. Right. Right. Um, so, and one of the things that's surprising if you actually go back and look at the history of astrology is that's actually a relatively recent idea. That if you go back just a few decades, it was not. It's only become super popular, and everybody's only started to take it for granted for the most part in just the past few decades. And if you go much further beyond that, it really becomes less and less of a thing until eventually, if you go back a few hundred years, it just disappears. And astrologers weren't even using that as a construct at all in order to develop the significations of the houses originally. Yeah. So, so one, one, one uh, dish, uh, absolutely one additional note. Um, so that actually shows up um, as like. Um, tertiary or even less important just sort of note about houses in in i believe the brihat parashara horshastra which is the very important vedic astrology text where they're like oh yeah there is this arrangement and that has this very limited meaning and you might use that for these very specific purposes it's like way off to the side is like yeah there's this for sometimes for for this but it's not primary with the houses there anyway it's not primary, um, and it doesn't provide the primary association of planets with houses, but it is off there somewhere on the side. It's been noted, right? And I mean, it's it shows up also in the in the Western tradition. I think it first starts showing up in like the 17th century with like Lily or one of his com- contemporaries, like Culpepper or something like that, starts using it in a medical context. Um, yeah, yeah. In right? terms of assigning maybe body parts to the houses, there right. does seem to kind of be the Aries first house head. So like the head is Aries and the head is first house type of thing. Um, but I agree with Austin in that your chart work becomes much more rich and nuanced and personalized if you really focus on in this particular chart, cancer is on the second house. So cancer is the second house sign or cancer is describing part of the attitude to money or income or what have you. Sure. So yeah, so we won't be using that. Um, and that I did a whole episode on this like a long time ago. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to hear more about this in episode 17 of the astrology podcast titled The Rationale for the Significations of the Houses. And you'll hear everything you've ever wanted to hear about that topic. So <laughs> More Which than you is want worth to hear. a listen. It's a, it's or a, didn't you write a paper on this too? Uh, well, I wrote a paper uh, on the planetary joys that also That's had a it. similarly long title that was titled like the planetary joys and the origins of the significations, the significations of, the of the houses. Honestly, the it's very good. It's very good, that paper. Yeah. I so what I showed it. there is they had just a whole other independent reason for developing the significations of the houses that had nothing to do with the signs of the zodiac. 
And it's just an important realization to have because it's important for this reason because you have to understand that the signs of the zodiac and the houses are two different reference systems astronomically and they have their own like independent meaning that you need to understand in isolation on its own and on its own terms in order to develop the deepest understanding of what the what each of them is doing and why they mean what they mean so that's a lot of what we're going to get into today if we ever eventually get to talking about the signs of the zodiac so why don't we do that with the first sign that we've established Yay! as the first sign which is aries so you guys are saying earlier austin that sometimes you like to switch or jump around and for me uh, like starting with aries is always tough because i have a much more well-defined sense of like certain signs like virgo or Leo and Aries is one that's a little bit more difficult for me to um, have a quick and like easy like conceptualization. What are, what is you guys' starting point for understanding Aries? Okay, so I start with the fact that this is a cardinal fire sign, right? Yeah. So cardinals beginning. How do you begin fire? You begin with friction. You need friction. That's how you need friction to get a spark and then to ignite things. And so, and Aries happens to be Mars ruled. Obviously, this is a young sign if we're talking about friction and, and ignition. To have friction, you need two things, right? Mars needs two things. You need, you need resistance, right? You need friction uh, to get that spark. And so Aries is about, Aries, uh, you know, in essence, is about the friction which creates ignitions. Um, and it's the, it's the initial charge. It's the moment of combustion, um, you know, and then there's there's a burning bright. There's a radiance. Um, Aries is ruled by Mars, which is a planet of not not sustained and temperate fire, but intemperate fire, fire, which is which burns hot enough to melt metal. Right. Which burns hot enough to to topple nations. It's that it's it's the fire of change. And it's about, you know, it's a it, it's very much the the pedal to the metal sign, um, which doesn't mean. And so part of part of what that means is you can't sustain it. It's inherently unsustainable because it's the initial explosion. Um, and so in people you get um, when people have Aries planets, they flare up and burn hot and then they get really tired and need a nap and pretend that um, they're just that awesome the whole time. Um, for for events, it's events that happen really quickly, right? Like the Arab Spring happened when Uranus went into Aries, right? And it just went up, you know, it was an ignition. It was not like the sustain was not so good on that, but the ignition, the initial fire was right there. And so I always think of that that moment of friction, the relationship of two things creating friction, that spark, and then the spark hits the fuel and that's Aries. Yeah, I always use a very similar metaphor, Austin and Chris, which is the idea of like Aries is the the Aries version of fire is the match. Yep. It's the, the the first thing that is going to light the whole fire. And whether that fire burns all night in your fireplace, like maybe a Leo fire, or whether it burns across the countryside, which is more like a Sag fire, the spark, the starting point. Um, <clears throat> I love that word ignition. Uh, that is the Aries energy. And it is, it's quick, it's acute, it comes into quick, like into being or it happens, it's fast, it's immediate, it's urgent. There's a spontaneity to it, but it doesn't have the follow through or the staying power. 
Um, you know, it's in a athletics competition, it's a sprint. This is the 100 meter sprint. Just get from A to B as fast as you can. Yes, perfect. That's it. Oh, uh, yeah. so I have, uh, I think I'm the only one here with planets in Aries. Um, yes. so I have Mercury. Hello, Mercury. <laughs> yeah, I have Mercury in Aries in the 10th. And so for me, like, I feel, I either feel like my mind is on fire or I'm trying to get the dry wood or not the dry wood. I'm trying to get the red, I'm trying to get the wet wood to actually take the fire. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> right. Like try to dry it out, get it moving. Yeah. And sometimes that can psychologically lead to things like like impatience or impatience yeah. can sometimes be a, a quality associated with Aries because of the feeling of like wanting to to get moving, wanting to get things going and not wanting to take things slowly or not wanting to hold back necessarily. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Aries acts and then thinks. But well, just give it everything you got right from the start. Well, and there's yeah. a uh there's a spontaneous quality. It's like the striking while the iron is hot or while yeah. like uh, I think of it in martial arts terms. It's like you have that half second to just explode and knock them out. Um, yeah, and like, and if you if you hesitate for a moment, you miss that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Like that's gone. And so there's, you know, and part of the impatience uh, is also like, no, it's the time to do this, and that's yeah. just a fire thing. Fire people in when we're talking about it psychologically, fire people will just tend to see, okay, now it's time to act. And it's, yeah. and people are like, well, let's analyze that and explain that. It's like, no, 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 I, I can just see it. I, no, I, no, just do it. Like there's time not enough time it. to explain to you. And if you think about, you know, fire is the most active element. When you, if you think about being in a sporting competition, for example, um, like you don't have time to analyze things. You just, the people who are best at action, see it and do it. Yeah. And I'm not even, like they, it's the, that instinctive energy of, you know, because in a sporting event, there isn't time to think or plan your, your reaction and your training comes into it. And there, that, um, I guess in tendency, if you like to just do it. So there's a boldness and there's a, a courage here in Aries as well, where there's almost like the time to do it is now. And I'm not going to get stuck worrying about whether I'm good enough to do it or whether it's the right time to do it. We're just doing it. And so there's movement that comes out of Aries too. It wants to keep a, a sense of momentum and, and pacing. But it, if we're talking about the pure Aries archetype, it always gets tired. Um, it does. It's the 100 meter sprint and well, it's done. And there's, it's the difference between speed and acceleration. We're not talking mm -hmm. about sustaining a speed. We're talking about the amount of power that's generated from a sudden acceleration. Um, that's what a strike is. If I hit something mm -hmm. where my arm moves at exactly the same speed the whole time, that speed, that's a push. My, 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 my punch will have no juice. But if I, if I go from nothing, you know, if I go from zero to 60 as quick as possible, then there's an explosion, which changes things in a different way than a push. Um, you can see this. The, yeah. The, great so, distinction. Thank you. The, uh, so the, uh, the ram is the symbol. What a, rams are literally named for doing quick explosive movements. They ram. You don't ram by pushing slowly. A ram will go, will, will bunch up. You can watch them on the internet or wherever or animal shows. They'll kind of bunch up and get ready and they'll explode forward. And they don't run for a mile at that speed. It's an explosive headbutt, right? And where does Aries rule? It rules the head. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I um, think that's good because like an Aries type um, condition or a strategy is is fast. It's the implementation or the startup phase. It's not the follow through and the maintenance. No, and and a lot of this is 
Go ahead, Austin. I was just saying, yeah, it, it's um, inspire. Uh, I see a lot of Aries people as well as my Aries planet um, function on inspiration. Like, oh, I'm on fire in this moment. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Right. And then That's like immediate. And then we'll see about tomorrow. But. Sorry, um, and a lot of this is like the um, the side of Mars, the side of the Mars archetype, the Mars and Aries side of the Mars archetype, as opposed to the Mars and Scorpio side of the Mars ar- archetype. This is the side that has this sort of um, berserker type energy, or this this fury, or frenzy, or sort of somewhat wild, or somewhat like frantic sort of component that has, or like um, Austin. I think you used this analogy one. I don't know if you use this analogy, but like. And actually, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but it was like uh, what a, a knife attack because kni- knives are all always associated with Mars or traditionally have been associated with Mars. And I think somebody, I thought it was you once, Austin, that talked about like what like a knife attack is actually like that it's it's kind of like a frantic or a wild type energy or or thing that's fast and and quick and difficult to defend against in like a martial arts context, but people don't often realize that like what that actually involves yeah i was probably yeah the one the one of the main things i was taught um the first rule of knife fighting which i was taught was the first rule of a knife fight is that you're gonna get cut right like Mm -hmm. even if you win you're gonna get cut um and so plan on that right there's definitely this like throwing yourself into the melee um so in in boxing uh they talk about staying in the pocket the pocket is where you're both in range, where you can both hit each other with both hands without moving, without moving your feet, right? So it's that trading, right? So it's messy. It's not like staying on the outside and picking your shots. Um, you know, it's 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 Mar- uh, Aries is a very in the pocket sign, where you're you know you're moving, you know you're you're moving and hitting and getting hit and back and forth, and you know some people feed off of that. Uh, some people feed off of the that friction, right? That friction just just um, brings some people it 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 um it helps them combust and bring even more to the table. Whereas some people wilt uh, in that space, both in life and in a ring. Um, what was I going to say? So just you know, while we're using fighting metaphors, which is entirely appropriate for Aries, um, two of the most famous mixed martial arts fighters are both Mars and Aries. Uh, Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, who just got handled over the weekend. But both of those fighters, when they win, um, uh, have, uh, they win extremely quickly. They would just like, Ronda would just run over to the other side and break, a, break the, break her opponent's arm. Conor would just like run up and pop somebody. And so, you, so they can win when the fight gets done quickly. Yeah. Basically. And so the, you know, the thing that everyone is saying about the recent, um, uh, Connor Khabib fight is they're like, well, um, either Connor knocks him out in the first two rounds or Khabib mauls him for uh, five rounds. What's really interesting about that, I don't want to turn this into too much of a side topic, but you know, so Connor's a Mars and Aries, and then his opponent, Khabib, was a Mars and Aries, but Mars and Aries retrograde. And it's interesting because he provides the slowest and most painful maulings. It's literally like the opposite of what you would expect from Mars and Aries. Can't you know Connor Mars uh, Mars direct literally runs or dashes across the cage punches someone hopefully they're done. Uh, Khabib Mars and Aries retro gets your leg pulls you down slowly you know advances position and just slowly beats on you for twenty five minutes 
it's literally that, you know, people refer to it as a slow mauling, right? <laughs> but um, with Mars and Aries Direct, like Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, like these people who just run across the ring and pop somebody. So there's kind of like a first into the breach type quality with Aries then. And, and that's, again, partially coming from that Mars thing. I, I would also say there's a champion quality. Um, and you can see that with the sun being exalted in Aries. It's the everybody witness my power. Look at how, mm. you know, how Dragon Ball Z, how super sane I can go. Look at like the heights that I can achieve for at least that moment. It's not sustainable, but it's like, you know, what you can be for X amount of minutes. Sure. And and what I like about that, and especially with the first end of the breach thing, is there's a side that can come out then and part of that that can manifest as a quality sometimes of like courage or courageousness as one of the higher manifestations of that. Like the ability yeah. to to not that you don't have fear, because I like there was something I was reading about courage recently, which is that it's not the absence of fear, but it's like not being um being able to suppress it or being able to to still have that but still overcome it and do what needs to be done and and sort of dive in head first despite that yeah courage is not the absence of fear but the ability to move forward even while being afraid sure and yeah. that's to me like that's one of the higher expressions of aries when done well it can be that that sort of energy of of courageousness yeah, I really like how you phrase that, Chris, the idea of the first into the breach, because I do see this a lot in clients that have significant planets in Aries or, you know, perhaps their midheaven in Aries or their 10th house or what have you, um, that there is this willingness to go first or to go, you know, into new territory to, you know, and that's part of the Mars energy of like the, maybe the breaking new ground or pushing forward first. Um, and there's a, there seems like a fearlessness, although I'm not sure that's what it is. It's just a, a drive or a passion or a, an instinct to to test and to conquer and um, to take on the challenge of going somewhere new. Yeah, definitely. There might be kind the, of like a go ahead a, a risk taker quality then as well that might be associated with that, which could be totally. both positive and negative. Like in the negative expression, it could be maybe being like overly um, like throwing caution to the wind and being overly like have a impetuousness or something like that. Right, which is why Absolutely. Saturn is fallen in Aries. It's, yeah. it's the exact opposite principle of Saturn. Saturn's like, well, so let's think about it. Let's do our due what diligence. What are the consequences going to be? And Aries doesn't care about any of that. Yeah, it's like whatever. We'll just do I've it. Done it. We'll just do it harder. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. And it's not. It's not as though that every sign corresponds to a certain age period. But I always think of a teenage male when I think you know, sort of the classic. There's a physicality. I remember my watching my brothers growing up. They didn't know their own strength at that point. So there is, um, you know, they would sort of take action or do things. It's like, oh, that was more than what I was expected because there's this raw strength there, if you like. Well, and I think that, right. that, think that first act later. That's a yeah. that's a big part or of the interior. <laughs> yeah. It's a big part of the interior component of planets in Aries is mm. that they, they want to discover what they're capable of. They, they do. And, they want to be. They want to challenge and be tested. Well, yeah, and they want to prove in action mm. that they're capable of being something, which is, I believe, part of the exaltation of the sun in Aries. The sun in Leo just is like, yeah, I'm me. I don't need to prove that I to am. anybody. Whereas Aries yeah. is like, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm this, and I'm going to prove it to everybody. Well, and it's by doing it, not like thinking it through necessarily ahead of time or, yeah. or abstractly. 
Well, there might be that, but the, it always comes back to um, pr- the proof is in the pudding, right? And that that's very, you know, that's that's Mars. Mars is like, well, that's great. What are you going to do? Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, let's see what else. What are some other are there other major like core qualities that we need to cover? Not that we're moving on right away, but we will soon. But what are some other areas that we're forgetting or overlooking? Or are there any other manifestations or, or like major areas? So, so part of what we're doing at this point, and that, that's something I meant to mention, is Austin. You mentioned the essential dignities, where you're tying in sometimes the essential dignities, and that's one of the conceptual constructs that you you use of not just what planet rules that sign, but you also pay attention to. Um, the exaltations, where there's certain signs where planets are said to be exalt- exalted in those signs, and there's also the concept of fall or the concept of um, a planet's depression, which is the sign opposite its exaltation. And then finally, there's also the sign of its um, detriment or exile, which is the sign opposite to a planet's domicile or opposite to the sign that it rules, since the 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 signs of the zodiac that the planets rule. Uh, like Mars ruling Aries were originally conceptualized as like the homes or the dwelling places of the planets that Mars was said to have its home in Aries. And so the opposite of that is when Mars is in Libra, which is the sign of its uh, detriment or or sometimes it's called its exile. So that's a conceptual construct that you'll be integrating and weaving into this. Yeah. Well, it's just something like the a planet's relationship to a sign tells you something about the territory of that sign. Mm-hmm. Right, that that the sun exalts in that Aries territory tells you something about Aries. It tells you something about the sun, and it tells you something about Aries. And so, just you know, just talking about ramming things and ignition and lighter fluid and all that, we're like, okay, that doesn't sound safe. So maybe Saturn's not good there. And like that doesn't sound super like chill. And so maybe Venus isn't, you know, doesn't have the easiest time there, right? Whereas the, you know, sun and Mars both, both like it there. You know, it's, uh, these things flow very naturally once you understand what the quality of that is. Like, you know, Venus can maybe figure out something to do with lighter fluid and swords, but it's not what Venus would choose first. They would not be her normal, uh, tools, right. basically. Yeah. And I think that, um, the the other thing that comes to my mind is that Aries is a very solo or independent sign, um, which is just an expression of the qualities we've been talking about. Yep. Solo um, Aries likes to go alone. It likes to go fast. It likes to work independently of the supervision. You know, anytime I see um, like Aries connected to career, it's a very strong signature for someone wanting autonomy at work, that they want to be able to kind of choose for themselves. They're happy to work hard. They're happy to take on a challenge, for instance. They like something that's a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure. Are we going to be able to meet that? Um, But they do want the freedom to do it according to their own preferences. Yes. Uh, Aries 10th and Midheaven over here agrees. Yes. It's like it's one of those ones you can honestly take to the bank. Um, And then, of course, as we're talking about rulerships and things like that, Aries is the only only fire sign that Mars is associated with. Uh, from the essential dignities perspective. And so there is something very combustible about the fiery planet Mars, the red planet in a fire sign. The combination of that is is quite extreme and it's unique. Definitely. Um, And so all of this is great because all these keywords we're coming up with, what all of this is fundamentally is just circling back is 
fundamentally just what happens when you have the overlap of those four primary qualities where Aries is a it's a masculine sign, it's a cardinal sign, it's a fire sign, and it's ruled by Mars, or Mars has its domicile there. And then you it's all four of those overlapping things at once that then result in all of these different um significations or like archetypal scenarios that we're talking about. Yeah. And yeah, so just reiterating something basic for the sake of it. Yeah. And so just in interest it of is. time, we should probably keep moving. Yeah. Sure. Well, that was exactly 20 minutes. So I started timing it because we were going to do 20 minutes per sign. That was the original plan, at least. Right. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, I, I was think... also timing. Okay, good. All right. So any. So let's move on. Any final yeah. word, words on Aries or are we good? I'm good. You're good? Okay. I, I, I will just say um, Aries planets like to be badasses. Like the interiority sure. of it, like... If you got planet in Aries, that part of you wants to be a badass. Maybe it's a badass calligrapher. Maybe it's a badass, you know, um, um, arborealist. Maybe it's a badass, whatever. But like Aries planets want to be badass. Like that's like, yeah. Um, like that's the sort of ego ideal that Aries planets move towards. Definitely. And so, so let's do like a good, ver- good expression, bad expression thing. Cause that might be a good thing to come back to. Like good expression is like courage or being a badass and being like courageous or something. Let's say ne- negative expression is what? Like being obnoxious about uh, that? Yeah. Being, uh, being contentious, um, not recognizing your weaknesses, identifying only with your highest points, uh, in the body. Um, burning out the body uh, so that you have, you've tapped your adrenal reserves and you're constantly running on E, um, overheating the body, um, uh, overheating the body through, you know, excessive activity and having, uh, in various inflammatory conditions, stuff like that. Sure. Being like egocentricism. Yeah. Being, being selfish. Yeah. Being selfish. Being in- so, okay. incredibly selfish. So, I'm a, a, so I, I, a bunch of my friends growing up were Aries and, um, my Scorpio friend, you know, from when we were teenagers, when he found out about astrology, which he doesn't really like, but he was like, yeah, he's like, I think that the Aries motto is hurry up and get off your ass and be selfish. Sure. He was like, hurry up and be selfish. And, you know, he's, he was a rather negative fellow. Um, and certainly that's not true of everybody with Aries stuff, but that is the, that is the like, that is the like kind of shit Aries mantra is like, ah, need to get up off my ass and be selfish. Sure. Well, and, and that's, it becomes more clear once we start contrasting that with some of the other signs that we'll get into, which are more have a tendency maybe to subvert maybe some of their own desires for the let's say the greater good or for somebody else's good or something like that versus for aries the tendency is more typically aligned with self i mean is that going too far no No. i mean it's perfect sun and mars right mars mars i know what i want and i'm going to make sure that i get that right and so if you have that in your seventh then you'll probably have a partner like that if you have that in the fourth then your mom was probably like that if you have that in the 10th, you're like that professionally. If you have that in the 11th, you have friends like that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. I love that. So the signs, some of the signs will manifest through the house that they fall in in your chart. Uh, sometimes they'll manifest through whatever planets you have placed there, whether that's you expressing that yourself or whether that's like partners or other people in your life represented by that planet that express it. And so on and so forth. Maybe I'm going too far afield here. No, no, no. I mean, it's a key point because it's one of the the core tenets that when beginners come into astrology, they have to kind of realize 
actually they have all of the 12 signs in their chart. Mm. And even if they don't have any planets in that sign, they will have a house area or a house cusp, which means the qualities of that sign are influencing their experiences and the people they encounter in that area of life. So it's really critical because even though you might identify, oh, I'm a Scorpio or my Venus is in Libra or whatever it is, you do have all 12 zodiac signs in your chart through their association with the house. It's funny that you mentioned that. The the uh, friend that I was, the childhood friend that I was talking about who was very critical of Aries was a Scorpio with Venus in Libra with Venus, oh my goodness. Venus <laughs> on the rising. And he was very offended by the brash Aries ways. Of course he would. Of course he would have been. Yeah. I I love that. And then, yeah, through that synastry, then different people are going to have different perceptions of different signs based on their own placements and whether those signs gel well with or or do not gel well with with certain signs. That actually is is an issue, though, because then it's it's impossible for anybody to – I was thinking about this the other day, and I was trying to condense it into like a tweet, but I was unable to – it's impossible to for anybody to fully articulate the quality of any sign because it's always going to be partially, um, I don't know, influenced by their own placements and their own perception of that sign on some level. On, There's like a subjectivity on, on, to on it. On some level, that's true, but it's also a gift when you start noticing, and this is actually something that horoscoping is good for, you start noticing your reactions to each of the signs and then right. you see where that's coming from in you. And that actually teaches you more about not only not just you, but you're like, oh, so I have this Mars and blah, blah, blah. And that's reacting to this other thing. And so, it, you know, it's actually I would say that it's a it's a point of enrichment. There's a lot there's a lot to mine there by understanding your reactions. Sure. Um, and, and one last thing um, for character things. People listening to this first for the first time that may only know about the signs of the zodiac and they may only know their sun sign. Um, there's different reasons why you might really be uh, if, have a strong affinity or, or feel strongly about some sign. Like some people really do identify with their sun sign, um, but other people maybe not as much. And that probably has a lot to do with whether you know it's just your sun in that placement, whether you have. Your ascendant in a different sign, whether your moon is in a different sign, whether I've noticed, you know, the ruler of the ascendant, if it's in a specific sign of the zodiac, that can really mean that that person strongly identifies with that sign in some instances, especially from a character standpoint. Um, There's probably other factors like that that should be mentioned in passing, just in terms of when a a zodiac sign is going to play a dominant role in your life or your character for some reason. Yep. But that's, that's probably all we need to say about that. So, why don't we? I think move I think I think then. that was my turn for an awkward transition. <laughs> yeah. You need a good catchphrase like like I have. I, I started saying sure like four or five years ago, and I can't get over it. I need to come up with a better one. Uh, Too funny. Yeah, we'll I'll start a poll on on Twitter for that later. So in the meantime, let's transition to Taurus. So the second sign of the zodiac, traditionally, whatever um, second sign usually that's dealt with. So Taurus is a uh, quote-unquote feminine sign. It is a fixed sign in terms of its modality. It is an earth sign, and it is ruled by or it is associated with the planet Venus. So those are our four primary properties. Where do we start for Taurus? Where do you start, Kelly? 
Well, I usually talk about how distinctly different Taurus is from Aries. So right out of the gate, we've got this very sort of um, masculine or yang sign in Aries that's quite quick and impatient. And Taurus is the opposite in many ways. It, it's where we slow down. <clears throat> we want to take our time. So Taurus has a very methodical, measured approach. It doesn't like to change things. Um, you know, people with planets in Taurus, um, these will describe some of the most stubborn but also reliable or loyal features of that person or that chart. So there's an unchanging, like a, a resistance to change because what Taurus tends to do is identify the comfort points in wherever they are so they can get settled into to where they are. Um, but it is a sign that has incredibly feminine um, – I always think of the word fecund – um, for the sign of Taurus. It's the sign of Venus. It's the exaltation of the moon. And I'm always thinking of my lovely garden images because this is where we kind of want to grow things in that earthy, grounded kind of way. So there's a, a slow, steady building. And the difference, if you like, between the bull that um, is associated with Taurus versus the ram associated with Aries, that ram is like it's literally butting its head against the gate. Whereas the steady bull, slow to get started, but once it goes, it will go all day. So the staying power and the endurance quality, if you like, of Taurus is quite strong. Yeah, I would say right, that there's like a plodding quality. There is like, they don't like to go too fast um, and they can take a while to get started. But once they go, so they're really good in that maintenance or this is the ongoing. We need to do this every week or every every month. The Taurus will love that repetition. I would say that Taurus is a very consistent sign. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because, you know, um, Taurus planets tend to be can, they're just what they are. Like if you're waiting yeah. for your your friend with a bunch of stuff in Taurus to like, you know, figure their shit out and, and change, you know, and, and go through a big change, you know, keep waiting. If you're waiting for the if get comfortable, you, but you also don't have to worry like you kind of like if you're relating to Taurus people with heavy Taurus planets, their virtues are their virtues. Their vices are their vices. Like these things may change, but slowly, like don't hold your breath. And so, you know, consistency, you know, is, oh, they're stubborn, right? That's the the negative loaded term, right? Um, but consistency is that they're just going to keep doing that. And that's part of the, the power of Taurus is to fix the form of something. It's a fixed earth sign of the elements. Uh, earth is the only one that holds a shape. Right. Water doesn't hold a shape. Air doesn't hold a shape. Fire doesn't hold a shape. Earth holds a shape. It holds form. And so it's good for, you know, it, it's a great energy for creating things, uh, creating things in the real world, things that have a shape and need to be able to endure in that shape. And so with Venus, it's associated with valuable things, works of art. You'll find a ton of Taurus in, uh, in famous artist charts. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking Kanye West is Venus in Taurus. Um, and uh, Salvador Dali had a bunch of stuff in Taurus. There's this like, I'm making a thing and I'm going to be painting for the next few days and I'm just going to keep painting. Don't bother me. Right. And right. I often think about that sometimes in terms of like something as simple as like um, food preferences, like fixed signs, especially liking to once they've established what they like, like continually coming back to and like sticking with that thing rather than wanting to go try new things all the time, but instead being content or happy with 
almost most happy just sticking with that which is familiar or that which they know. Yeah, and with with Taurus uh, as a you know a particular fixed sign with that Venus rulership, I see a lot of people a lot a lot of people with Taurus heavy charts who for whom the cultivation of taste is very important, whether it's in art or in dining. Um, mm. And that like once they've been exposed to a, a certain, you know, a certain, how should we say, level of cuisine, they're like, won't eat anything beneath that. Um, or or a certain level of art. I think of um, uh, my, my uncle, who's a Taurus, um, who's a classical music guy. And for a while, he was like, rock and roll is not music. He's like, look at the complexities of Vivaldi and this and that. He's like, yeah, that's not music. Um, and so there, there's actually, there can be a certain snobbishness with people who are embodying the Taurus. But what I think about with Venus is it's about, you know, Venus is about what, what's valuable to you, right? It's about, you know, cause taste is a, taste is subjective or it has an, uh, uh, an, uh, an irremovable subjective component, whether it's taste in music, movies, food, et cetera, et cetera. There's like, what has value? And then I would like to obtain and create what has value. I feel like those are base, deep drives for Venus rule Taurus. Totally. Yeah, that what has value. And I do find that Taurus is a sign that has some criteria for standards. It's not maybe like as luxury focused necessarily as for instance, Leo can be, but Taurus is definitely about, I want the quality of something to be not just the basic. And yeah, yeah, once yeah. they, yeah, like they'll pay for natural this or more organic that, or this is, you know, better quality. And as long as the better quality is commensurate with an improved experience, Taurus will be all over right, that. Then that's a good value. Yes. Yeah. Organic. I like that word organic because that's, there's a, probably that's a really, if there was any sign that I was going to associate with the word organic, I think Taurus would probably be it. Right. And uh, so let me, uh, let me jump over to just the, the, the sort of the event quality, right? If you're looking for the, the rhythm or pace of events um, as signified by Taurus, it's slow and steady. It's the, you know, what, what starts happening will keep happening. You know, when we're looking at event qualities, like, Mar, uh, excuse me, Aries things happen all at once, right? Whereas Taurus yeah. things steadily unfold. And they're. It, it makes me think of like a degustation dinner, you know, where you go out and there's going to be six or seven courses and the food is paired with the wine and it's going to take four hours to eat your meal. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so it's. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's associated with the neck, right? Um, you know, it's. Mm -hmm. it, oh, yeah. That's, that's something we completely forgot to mention. No, as a I, whole I totally separate... threw that in on Aries. You did throw it in yeah. on Aries? Okay. So just very briefly, just um, conceptually, the idea that there's a assignments of the parts of the body and Aries starts with the head and then you, as the first sign of the zodiac, and then you work your way down the body through each each of the successive signs. So Taurus is the neck and Gemini becomes the shoulders and the arms and so on and so forth. Yep. And so the neck, you know, think of the, the bull's neck, right? It's, it's support. The neck is there to support the head. Right, we have the yin power of supporting, right, with the the Taurus rule body part. That's also where all your food goes, because it first goes down your neck. Um, <laughs> I know people don't say it like that, but it's true. That's true. And you yeah. you also have the the Venusian association of singing, um, you know, Venus and the arts and singing, and 
it's the neck that produces the, the singing. The sound. Yeah. I mean, Venus is, I'm not Venus, Taurus is very tactile too. You know, it's a sign associated with the senses or the sensory pleasures. Um, so there's often a, um, that need to touch uh, can be important with Taurus planets. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that tactile quality of Taurus goes across a lot of different, different areas. Totally. But yeah, there's, right. there's this, I would just say that there's a, with Taurus, just because it's really easy with Taurus to fall into like food metaphors. And I, that's not wrong, but there, uh, there's just the other parts too. Um, one thing I would say about planets in Taurus is they, they provide an understanding of the sequencing of how things actually happen. Like you got to wake up and do this in the morning and you do this in the middle of the day and then you do this at night. There's this there's this ability to do concrete sequencing and then work with with that. And sequencing involves pacing, involves alternating rest and activity. There's just like this this sort of, you know, kind of Tao of life thing that um, that Taurus points towards. You know, you spend time with what is most valuable, whether it's friends, career, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's just this, you know, this consistent moving through life and this gentle alternation or, you know, sustainable non-herky-jerky alternation of activity and rest. I like that. I'm just pulling up my, I just remembered I meant to look through some charts to throw out a few charts every once in a while. And there's a funny one of my Taurus rising charts or persons that has Taurus ascendant in Taurus is um, George R.R. Martin. I don't know. (laughs) Ah, Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sumptuous descriptions of food are are about half the length of his books. Yeah. And I mean, this is a series that is not coming out in a hurry. I mean, he would be, (laughs) yeah, it takes him about four or five years to write one book. And, uh, and these books are not quick short reads they're absolute tomes thousand page type things right but he's also like don't rush me like he you yeah. know he's like it'll, it'll be done when it's when it's done well and this is a very taurus quality that if you try to hurry them up they dig their heels in and they go slower it's like the worst right. thing you can do for taurus placements or the taurus part of your chart it, you cannot make it happen faster definitely um Let's see. Another one I thought that was interesting. George Lucas is one of my favorite like Taurus rising examples that I use because he also has Venus in Taurus, like in the first whole sign house, roughly conjunct the ascendant as well as the sun and Mercury there. So he's got almost like quasi stellium in Taurus. But that's interesting to me just because he went to, you know, ended up going to film school and he was always very focused on the aesthetics of film and like the artistic nature of things and like some of that you know, kind of comes through in, in some aspects of the Star Wars trilogy, you know, to some extent in terms of this aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, the, the, the Venusian, I mean, it's the substance like, so, you know, we're talking about like the earth of Venus, right? It's like, what does that color make you feel like? What does that sound make you feel like? Those are all real things, colors, sounds, what is this texture like, right? So it feeds into um, Venus's artistic agenda very clearly. So the the senses, there's something very important about like the sense quality of Taurus, almost maybe more than any other sign. I think that's true. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's the only Earth sign of Venus, so we're getting 
the, the, the beauty or the indulgence or the pleasure through the physical, through the tangible realms, which is evoking all the senses. Right. So it's like taste, but also like color, touch. Sight, touch, sound, um, smell, all of those um, experiences. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Um, where are we at on, on time? Are you timing this one, Austin? Yeah, we're um, at 19 and a half minutes. On Taurus. Really? For Taurus already? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The okay. slow sign goes fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Let's do a quick, like, good, bad, positive manifestation, bad, negative manifestation. I mean, we've said a lot of positive ones so far. What's some. Kelly, why don't you say nice things and I'll say mean things? <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys can be like the. <laughs> That'll be, we can stay to our type. Good well, angel, I... bad angel. Good angel, but yeah. Um, uh, so ta- good things about Taurus, they are very steady and loyal and reliable. So they are consistent. It's a, a wonderful quality. They will help you or, you know, Taurus qualities or planets, they help you slow down to smell the roses, like that cliche of enjoy the moment, be in the present, be here now, be where you are. These are very Taurus qualities and quality that is genuine is worth paying for. So these are Taurus traits, I guess, that are maybe a bit more positive. Over to you, Dark Angel. Okay, let's see. Um, so negative Taurus things. Um, greedy, shady, stubborn, selfish, <laughs> boring. Boring's a good one. Um, and so yeah, and uh so and problems in Taurus will, you know, manifest in your in your throat generally. You know, um if you're getting a nasty transit from something in something in Taurus that's linked to health in your chart. A lot of times it'll show up as you lose your voice or it's a sore throat. Um, let's see. Yeah. It's uh yeah. Greedy, shady, stubborn, boring works for me for negatives. Perfect. Oh, snobbish. Snobbish. <laughs> see, that's really interesting to me because I don't like, I don't think of Taurus. Like you, you're mentioning the refined quality of Taurus and I, I can see that on some level, but I don't usually think of Taurus as like, I often will associate some of that more with like Libra in terms of the potential for that, for, for being more drawn to the higher, having much more of a focus or an obsession with aesthetics and, and refinement to the point of maybe occasionally snobbishness being an issue. Whereas you you see that as a as a real potential issue with Taurus. Oh, consistently. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there any other major points that we need to mention with Taurus before we move on? I think we've got the gist. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Um, well, let's move on then to the third sign, uh, which is Gemini. Uh, Gemini is a masculine. So we're alternating back to a masculine uh, polarity. Uh, it is a mutable sign. It's our first mutable sign in terms of its modality or its quadruplicity. It is an air sign and it is a sign. It's one of the two signs that's ruled by the planet Mercury. All right. So, so where do we want to start? Well, I just want to with... start with the, the the massive repolarization from Taurus to Gemini. So we're, yeah. we're literally going from fixed air, fixed earth to mutable air. We're going from yeah. like a you know from a stone to a cyclone right in terms of like static versus dynamic right not only is air a much more dynamic element than earth but um this is mutable air so this is as unstable as the air gets right mutable signs have a lot of good qualities stability is not one of them 
And so, and it's ruled by Mercury, right? Which is the quickest moving planet other than the moon, right? Mercury's and Mercury, you know, Mercury's hiding behind the sun. It's in front of the sun. It's, you know, you can see it for a little bit in the morning. You can see it for a little bit at night and then it's changed. It's fast. It's slow. You know, this is, um, this is very, um, volatile. Um, this is very volatile territory. This is, you know, Gemini is very ADD, especially when compared to Taurus. <laughs> well, it, and you make a good point, Austin, because when we change from one sign to the next, we don't always have quite the dramatic shift in quality. And the the Taurus Gemini one, you know, Taurus being Earth is has that cold dry combination, and Gemini being Air has the heat and moisture combination. So everything switches, and it it does feel very distinctly different. It's like the rock in the garden versus the butterfly, um, you know, moving around. And there's there's a nimbleness and an agileness to to Gemini. It is the air sign of Mercury, the planet of the mind. So we we have a lot of mental energy coming in in this sign, a lot of thinking. You know, there is a tendency to be quite scattered um, because it is a mutable sign, and they do tend to have a diffusive kind of quality. And the scattering of the mutable in Gemini tends to be a mental thing. So the mind is going in ten different directions at once if you like. So yeah, and, the busy mind. Yeah. And so I would add to scattering, um, splitting like Gemini splits in two. Nice so it has somebody yeah. to talk to. They're like, Oh, what Beautiful. do you, you know, so we can have a debate so we can have a conversation yeah. so we can like, you know, have some back and forth. Um, and yeah. you know, in the body, uh, so, you know, Aries head, Taurus neck, and then the body splits at the shoulders and arms. And that's Gemini. Gemini rules the show. Rules the, yeah. the first split as we're going down. And so Gemini rules, you know, Mercury rules hands, right? Little clever dexterous. And what's at the end of the hand? Body splits again into five on each side. So we have splitting to cover ground, splitting to do more clever, technical, intricate things, um, you know, splitting to have some. That's really important about. since this is the first, like yeah. the first two signs that we talked about, there was a singular quality and this is the first sign of any of them that we're talking about that does have that, uh, it has a dual quality. And of course, Gemini is the, the image associated with it is the twins. And that's actually, that's what Gemini means is the twins. And I should mention that, that that's what the original Greek, I wanted to mention what the original Greek terms were for each of these. So Aries in Latin, Aries is the term that means the ram. Taurus literally means the bull in Latin. Gemini means the twins and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that that duality duality is a, a really important um, keyword then that comes up really frequently for Gemini and different different types of duality. Yeah, the polarity, um, and I think that leads to some of what might be the sort of negative or more tricky traits of Gemini, which is their inconsistency and uh, maybe their you know, if Taurus is too slow to change or doesn't change enough, Gemini is a sign that would change too frequently or too much, you know, from morning to night, it might have uh, found out something new or changed its its perspective. There is a, the flittering. And I always think, of course, me in my garden, but the thing in the garden that makes me think of Gemini is the pollinator. Because in Gemini, we do, as you said, Austin, we want to have that conversation. We want to talk, but we need someone else to be giving input. So the idea of pollination, where we're taking something from one, passing it on to the other, picking up something else and going elsewhere again. Yeah. And, and right. as a mode, like doing as many things as possible at the same time, 
right? Which is a way of yeah. doing them fast, right? Like while I'm, you know, while I'm pollinating this, I'm getting this and while I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And, you know, it's, it's make, it's, it's, there's that multiplying splitting quality, right? Where you're like, right. you know, um, I, you know, I have a moon in Gemini, which rules my rising. Right. And so that like, mm, you know, like I can feel that like wanting to do everything at once, which I've worked on taming my entire life. Um, but like you, you know, and you can't, the thing is with Gemini, it's like, you'll see everything you could do all at the same time. And maybe even, and, and there's a Gemini paralysis that comes from seeing too many possibilities all at the same time. Um, but you know, my mom, my mom gave me the wisdom, the, the antidote wisdom to that when I was young, she says, Oz, she said, Oz, you can do anything you want. Or no, she said, you can do everything you want. You just can't do it all at the same time. Yeah. And that's one of the greatest struggles for Gemini is to make a choice and to narrow their options. And I don't know that Geminis ever get, or Gemini energy, the pure form, it never kind of wants one thing. It definitely needs a multiplicity, but to to bring it down from seven options to three or four can sometimes create better odds for uh, getting things done. Yeah. Well, and so, and that's, and, you know, seven to three is exactly right. Um, so, you know, if people have like their, you know, their mid heavens in Gemini and maybe they got a planet there. Um, they're probably going to have multiple careers and they may have like multiple things that they're doing at the same time. Be like, I'm a DJ and a poet and I also do construction. Right. But, and that they can make that work, but they, the, it's the, they can't make seven things work. Right. No. It's, 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 it's cutting it down to only two or three. Right. Um, but I've seen people, um, struggle with that. And it's the answer is multiple. It's just that it's not quite that multiple. Right. That's the key is that, yeah, you almost want to redefine what multiple is. And, you know, it's not 15, but you can probably, you know, somewhere around the three or four. Um, and that can be a liberation for <laughs> mid heavens in Gemini, for instance. In the in the Hellenistic text, they would often delineate mutable signs, but especially Gemini is indicating two of whatever is signified. So if it's like associated with the fifth house, they would say there will be at least two children. Or sometimes with like the seventh house, maybe end up having more than one marriage in in the life or something like that. If there's other factors that support that, yeah, or the person like does you know likes being single and having a different date, you know, with or a date with different people multiple times a week like that 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 multiple energy uh, or if it's in the seventh they want somebody who's got a bunch of different sides to them who's you know who's interesting keeps them guessing sure yeah. um and and the thing one of the things you guys were talking about um mentioning mercury zipping around is from from an astronomical standpoint it's stations of all the planets that have retrogrades which all of them except for the sun and moon do mercury stations retrograde and direct the most frequently and that's why we have the Mercury retrograde periods, of course, three times a year, and why everybody's nowadays like talking about Mercury retrograde, it seems like constantly because it's happening every few months. That sort of feeds in from an astronomical perspective. You know, that frequency is one of the reasons why then symbolically the notion of frequency and things happening more frequently becomes a major Gemini trait because of that association with Mercury. Changing direction, changing visibility, changing speed does all of those things more often than any other planet. Yeah. Sure. It it just seems it's a it's a really simple point, but it's a really important one because sometimes 
it's like when I first started learning astrology, or when you learn astrology, usually you're just learning or memorizing just traits that are associated with, and you assume assume have always been associated with certain signs or certain planets or what have you. But a lot of these actually you can trace them back to very specific astronomical things of you know what makes this planet different than this planet, and and what does that mean, or or how do we interpret that symbolically if Mercury stations retrograde or direct more than the other planets, um, what would that correlate with? Yeah. I mean, Mercury does get into these little nooks and crannies in the ecliptic that other planets don't tend to get near. So there is this idea of um, the access all areas kind of pass that Mercury has that feeds into Mercury's signs where they're able to discover or uncover information or ideas that the rest of us maybe just doesn't occur um, to planets in other signs. And that's, again, coming from that astronomical piece around what is Mercury actually doing in the sky. Sure. So so there's a huge like communicative quality to Gemini. I think everybody agrees and that the, and the positive manifestation of that is much more freer flow of, in, of information. Um, but the, the negative side of that sometimes can be associating with that with a certain amount of like being sort of flighty, I think is is one of the negative character traits that's sometimes associated with that. I would say self-contradictory. Um, self-contradictory. Yeah. Which uh, if you're mad at somebody, you'd say that they're a hypocrite if they, um, or that they're two-faced if they contradict themselves, but it's, it's mutable air. It's changing ideas. Ooh, new facts just came in. Now I think this about this. Ooh, I had an interesting conversation with, I don't know, Jim about this topic. And now my viewpoint has changed. Um, you know, it's being open right. to and wanting to change minds and have, have your mind changed. Um, but there's, you know, Gemini accumulates contradictions. Um, and so that can also, you know, there's a lot of speaking as a Gemini moon, like a Gemini moon is my, the ruler of my, the Lord of the ascendant. Like there's a lot of like taking in lots of contradictions and then having to sit with all of it and trying to figure out how it all makes sense. Um, that's just, you know, and that's part of the problem with Gemini is like, it, it, you know, it, it's the opposite. Like Kelly said, it's the the problem, which is exactly the opposite of the Taurus difficulty. Taurus isn't stretching far enough and taking in enough contradiction, whereas, you know, Gemini is just taking in all of the contradictory things and um, pieces of information. If anything, this is kind of a, a Gemini age in the sense of being in constant information overload. Cause that's, you know, that's, right. that's the short circuit for Gemini. It's stimulating. Gemini is stimulating. Uh, it's stimulating active, but it can fragment. And, and since this is our first mutable sign, I mean, that's some of those are, is basically what mutable means is some of those synonyms like changeable, variable, um, fluctuating, shifting, inconsistent, uh, sometimes unpredictable, Inconstant, fickle, uneven, unstable. Yeah, some some of those other terms in terms of just defining what mutable means. This being our very first mutable sign, a lot of those become relevant in, in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and the the mutability in Gemini, of course, is applied to the element of air. So the the topics of of the mind or ideas or conversation, and that's where you really see that that variety or that in, inconsistency. Uh, with the sign of Gemini, right? It's more of like an intellectual inconsistency, or, or like Austin was saying, being able to change one's opinions after like a single conversation. 
Yeah, and I guess I don't want to sound too negative on Gemini because their their ability to adapt um, yeah. and you know change as new input comes in, they are going to be early adopters when it comes to like new technology and things like that. Yeah, like well, flexibility, like the ability to be flexible and to adapt. Well, and I would also yes, say Austin. <laughs> to uh, to generate techniques, Mercury likes technique. Mercury is like, you know, yeah. Mercury and Gemini, it's su- getting super curious about, okay, well, why does it work that way? And taking things apart and be like, I'm going to put it back together differently, whether it's an idea or a sentence um, or, you know, or whatever kind of technique. Mercury likes to, Mercury and Gemini especially, likes to play with technique and to, you know, to use tricks on people, which are techniques that they don't know. A technique that you don't know is a trick that works. Uh, it'll, tr- that's it, a beautiful way of putting it. Thank you. Well, it'll work as long as you don't understand it. And Gemini doesn't want to be tricked. Gemini wants to trick you, right? Gemini's like, ooh, 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 how did you do that? What was that? You know, what is that rhetorical device? How did that punch work? How did you set that up with a feint? You know, what is, it's very, you know, and their aesthetic strategies, their martial strategies, you know, Gemini is very, it's mercurial in a way that embraces some of the martial and Venusian um, for a lot of the traditional images for the Gemini Deccans, you see a figure who has both implements of art and war. Or it, like one of the images is like, oh, it's this warrior in golden armor and he's he's an archer and he's got a sword and he's hanging out in the garden and singing songs and telling jokes. And, you know, Gemini kind of goes both directions. It can be, you know, it can be aesthetic, it can be combative, um, but it's exploratory, curious, technical and tricksy. The notion of technical, um, one of the things that comes through really strongly with the Mercury thing, and it comes through more strongly in Virgo, but it also comes up in Gemini, is, is focusing on that which is very small, and that mm. being opposite to Sagittarius, which is ruled by Jupiter, which is focusing on like more that which is big or big picture things. And so, so Gemini and focusing on that which is small, which can sometimes mean focusing on the details, which becomes especially more prominent in in Virgo but to some extent is still true also in Mercury in in Gemini. Yeah and and we can uh, yeah. come back to this with Virgo but um so Gemini is the active young masculine sign that Mercury rules whereas Virgo is the mm-hmm. the yin earth. And so in Gemini it's active it's like ooh what can I do with those details? I noticed all this stuff I got really curious about. Now, what can I do with that? What can I pull off, right? Whereas Virgo is a little bit more of how can I understand and assimilate, you know, how, you know, how can I get an almost scholarly understanding of how this works? Whereas Gemini is like, that's really interesting. I think I know what to do with that. Right. Yeah, very, that's Very beautiful. quickly and like immediately applying it, even if not having like a full understanding of it yet, but there's an almost impulsive quality to it. Yeah, yeah, it, because of the the young energy. Yeah, and it, it's an almost sorry, like Austin. oh, it's okay. Um, so Virgo's like study or learn to do it the right way, and Gemini is like hack everything all the time. Sure. Uh, one yeah. other thing that comes out is there's like a a youthful quality to Gemini, and this sort of comes through the Mercury ness as well. Like if we were to try to apply like age things, like there's certain signs that. We might associate with like that which is older or or something like that, but uh, it seems like sometimes the more there's like a, a youthfulness that sometimes we end up associating with Gemini in different respects. Do you guys is that true? Have you guys seen that? Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's a it's a there is a youthful 
young, fresh, inquisitive quality to Gemini for it's sure. The, um, yeah, 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 the the curious and plastic quality of youth. So in yes, with the plasticity, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, in the uh, in one system that associates planets with different ages, um, there's uh, Venus. Excuse me, Mercury rules from ages three to twelve. Three, it, which is because that's when the kids start asking why, 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 and then it basically ends at puberty when um, when a person has to, uh, you know, is is pushed to pick a side by society and often their body. Um, but you know, there it's that like non-sexual, both and neither gendered place where you're just like a, a little curious creature running around and learning everything and, and mimicking. Right, definitely. Um, and there's a, there's a, actually like a word for that that's really good. It's um, precocious, and I'm just pulling up the definition really quickly. And Google says of a child having developed certain abilities or proclivities at an earlier age than usual, and it gives some sy synonyms like. Um, gifted, talented, uh, clever, intelligent, quick, which are interesting sort of like mercurial keywords, but they're being applied to in, in an age context in somebody that's younger and the ability to have that sort of like cleverness or intelligentness or quickness at, a, at an early or younger age than you would think that they should have. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so we've how, we're probably about 20 minutes on this one, right? I yes, we so. just got the uh, the bell. Okay, uh, so uh, either I think we've done a pretty good job already of doing like good qualities, bad qualities, right? We do, do we need to re recapitulate that, or I, I think is there we anything you guys want to say with the twins? I think we touched on pros and cons. Did we balance things out enough? We were, I know we were verging a little bit too negative for a second there, so I hope we didn't. I don't want to like bias like any one of these signs and like end up coming off like we're bashing like one sign and we're no, like no yeah that's another. true i don't know that we did i just want to make sure we balanced it out quickly enough so the the positive is really just that quick communicative ability being gemini's can talk to anyone about anything great to have in a social situation or with ice breaking you know they will the, the curiosity they can just get something started in almost any situation Definitely. So they're definitely the, the conversation starter. Gemini is the one that you would want to have at a party to start a conversation and would thrive in that environment. So this is one of the first ones that's really like a social type sign in some sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, air of, of the elements, air covers the most ground. You know, yeah. fires you physically might- covers the most ground. Yeah. What well, was starting yeah. from the physical elements? Like earth is just there. You can move water, but it takes some doing. Fire can spread, but air, you know, the air is blowing over us now and it'll be hundreds of miles away later. Um, air just covers ground. Yeah. So that that's a real like intellectual or communicative. It becomes part of our like keywords or core meanings for air, it seems like. Yep. And so part of the yeah. and oh air can scatter. No other element scatters like air. Air scatters the leaves. Not fire, not water, not earth, air. Um, and this will come up more when we get there, but that, I think that becomes one of the primary meanings or reasons why Aquarius traditionally, where you can rationalize a lot of what modern astrologers associate with, like Uranus being associated with that sign, probably can more, from a traditional standpoint, be explained by that air association. Yeah, I think that there is yeah. um, yes. a, a, a relatively profound correspondence between Uranus and air. Okay. 
All right. Well, we'll cross that. Yeah, we'll come to that. Okay. Getting ahead of ourselves. All right. So that is sign number three. We've got to talk about a water sign. Yeah, we're finally getting to, I was feeling a little, we're talking about all these other elements. We're finally getting to the water signs. So you and I, especially Kelly, can breathe a sigh of relief. Austin, you've got, yeah. you have some- He's got a good amount of water. I've too. got yeah, I mean, South Node, Sun, Mars, Uranus, Jupiter, and rising in water. Right. I guess I've yeah. got a little bit of uh, stellium- um, arrogance going on in terms of you know if you don't if you don't have a stellium of at least what four or five planets in a in a specific sign then yes yeah well i yeah. i believe i'm the only one here who has a planet in all three water signs so i think that's true okay, yeah that's no point. you take that cake yeah cuz actually chris i think you only have planets in one water sign i mean when you say it like that you don't have to say it like that <laughs> All right. Well, I went from being very like full of myself about that to suddenly feeling cut down to size. Shit, but- it's like the throwdown about water signs. Austin is winning because I only have two. And look, Chris, I really won. The my planet in Scorpio is just Uranus. That's it. I mean, I'm not sure that I can claim that. It's just it's not like it's a personal planet there. Right. Uh, but you have like 20 planets in Pisces. I yep. do have a few. You definitely win the Pisces, Pisces. throne, Kelly. Well, and Scorpio. Uh, Chris is on the Scorpio throne or he's in the scorpio dungeon maybe i'm not sure i've got a nice shirt on i just got printed up yes it's a beautiful i'm really in love with that blue are the pisces ones the same uh different yeah they're gonna be the same they're just i'm just got the first is the first test shirt so they're gonna have them available wherever the store is like astrologypodcast.com slash store and then you can find links to them so um but yeah on the note of water sign the cancer one will be just the same too (laughs) right uh, so that would be a good card game because it's kind of like a card game what we were just doing of like, you know, you have certain suits of in in like poker for example that beat other ones and like what the yeah. you know who has what like a f- royal flush or something would be a stellium versus having like what Austin has with like covering all three water signs that would be whatever the other three of a kind that, that would probably be a straight right. a straight okay because okay. right, straights are sequential. Yeah. Yes. And then you'd have to have like trump cards, like, sure, maybe you've got the sun in Pisces, but my Jupiter in Pisces is going to beat that or something along those lines. Yeah, there you go. All right. Oh, my God. I would love that. Somebody follow through with that and come come up with a card game based on that and make sure you you just promote it on the show. Where you can only play once with people and then you find out who wins. Right. Thanks uh, for the Mars uh, manifestation there, Austin. I didn't describe the structure of the card game. I'm simple, or I, I didn't make it up. I'm just saying, if if that's the way it works, then you play once, and your chart either then, wins or loses. Then... Right, that's a good. Find out who the winners and losers are. Oh my goodness! All right, well, um, give a, give us credit at least if somebody does come up with that and win a million dollars or makes a million dollars. So let's move on to our next sign. Yes. Sign number four: Cancer. Cancer is a we are alternating again, so this is an odd sign, alternating odd and even. So this is a feminine sign, number four. This is yeah. a, uh, a cardinal sign, so we're coming back to cardinal. And this is a water sign, and it is ruled by the moon. So the moon has its domicile or its dwelling place in Cancer, traditionally. All right. Yes, so it does. And so it's- Well, and I think- Yeah, go. Okay. Well, I just go. wanted to start with it's cardinal water. Where does the water come from, right? So we're talking about the water and beginnings. 
right? And so we have cancer as, you know, the sign of the moon, the sign of the, the mother, right? We're talking, where does life come from? Oh, it comes from the primordial waters. You know, where what's going on inside the womb? Oh, it's filled with um, primordial waters that have a very similar salinity to uh, seawater. Where does the water come from? It comes from the ground. It's a well. It's a spring. Where does civilization, where, you know, where did civilization happen? Oh, people gathered around the source of the waters. Um, you know, people say, oh, cancer is nurturing, right? It's what is nurturing? It's the, you know, it's those first waters, whether it's mother's milk or the primordial sea or the, you know, the spring or the well that keeps your town from, um, you know, being dehydrated and dying, right? Like that's where you start. And what do you do? with the source of the primordial waters, which nurtures you, you protect it. You build a goddamn yeah. shell around it. You don't let everybody fuck with the well. You don't like, you protect a woman. You keep it pure and yeah, safe. Yeah, you protect a woman who's pregnant because she's in a more vulnerable position, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's my first 10 cents. I got another quarter for you, but there's the first 10. <laughs> That's good. So. So a lot yeah. of those things with cancer, it seems like the modern astrologers sometimes default to like associating it with the fourth house, but it seems like a lot of those things we might draw, f a lot of that comes from like the moon, especially in its association. And, and the moon often, one of the associations it had was like mothers and nurses and like this nurturing component seems to be like a riff off or connected with a lot of the things that you're talking about, the, the idea of like nurturing something. Yeah, and I think in both instances, it's about nurturing or protecting that which is most vulnerable. And it's, you know, if you're a community, the water source that is, you know, you lose that, you're going to die. If we lose our young, if we lose our feeding, you know, mothers or pregnant mothers type of thing, people, everything will die off because the protective quality in cancer is is highly developed. Um, but it's very much directed towards protecting the vulnerable or those that um, you know can't defend themselves, if you like. Yeah, I think of so nurturing and also cultivation is, um, I think, mm. very Cancerian. Like you garden, Kelly. You gotta like, you know, when something is <gasps> yeah. when when you're like before the plant can stand on its own. Like you got to be careful when you first transplant it from the pot. Gonna make sure it has. You know, you may you worry if there are too many cloudy days. You make sure it has the right water, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you have to stake it to help it until it gets stronger. Yeah, yeah exactly. You you prop it up for yeah. then. But like just if you, you know, like the process of caring about something growing, right? Mm. That's you instantly start like kind of, you know, like you're you're putting it inside the circle to protect it, whether that's a physical fence or an emotional fence. Um, it's just there. And, you know, with cancer, that can be. You know, with people who have heavy cancer, sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I really care about astrology. Like, I want to nurture my skill and nurture the community. It's, I, it, this is something I'm, t I'm protective and emotional about. Mm. You know, it's, it's that mm. caring energy um, that can be applied to anything. Um, but when you care, you protect and you nurture, right? And Jupiter's exalted there because it's about growing things. You protect them so they grow. I like that your physical like mannerism as you're trying to describe this is like putting your arms around, yeah. like, like hugging and protecting something like physically with your arms. Right, and what that's it's what you do with your and cat. that's the crab claw. That's the loving crab claw right there. Yeah, right. Claw. So cancer is the the crab, and that's um, carcanos was the Greek word, and that's like cancer in Latin literally means the crab. Important important point actually. Cancer. I often laugh when cancer is 
like accidentally artistically depicted as like a lobster. Uh, people are just oh, like, yeah. <laughs> it always makes me laugh just because it was originally in Greek. It was the term was crab, and the crab in terms of the symbolism actually becomes really important symbolically for understanding some of the the meanings archetypally. Well, one of the things I always take from the symbol of the crab for the sign of Cancer is that if you've watched a crab on the beach, they move sideways and they move – for a crab to get from A to B, they move in a zigzag style pattern. They don't go – this is not Aries. We're not just, you know, heading straight out of the gate. And there's something really – you know, there's a cautious quality to Cancer that sometimes manifests as a hesitation or is interpreted as a hesitation. It's not a fear, but it's a, it's an, a d- desire to – protect what they have as they move forward and they're happy to take what looks like a circuitous type of pathway if that is going to allow for the protection and the nurturing as part of the process we don't want to give that up for anything yeah it's it's absolutely and it's um it's spiraling in towards something rather than heading in a straight line or spiraling out from something um i know you know i've got cancer rising and so like when i'm like i'm gonna do that and i like spiral in on it and then I, you know, mm. and then I spiral out from relaxation. I don't take straight lines um, that often. All right. So no, straight a, lines don't exist for cancer. Which is one of the and, reasons why Mars has a hard time there. Yeah. So there's an well, in, indirect quality to it. There is. And to go back to the Jupiter exaltation here, I do think there is a generosity in the sign of cancer, but it's it's the emotional um, generosity rather necessarily than material. Eh, I think it's yeah it, it it's think- it's an emotional that moves the material, mm. but it's the 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 place it comes from is the emotion. Absolutely. And then we got to flip this too because so cancer planets and cancer people also want to be taken care of. They they want to be inside the huggy circle, right? They <laughs> you know they want to like they like they're they're both they're both nur- they're they're nurturing, but they also want to be nurtured. And so yes. cancer as cardinal water can be very demanding uh, emotionally. Like I need this yes. just as much as cancer, you know, cancer archetypally can also be really good at saying, ah, I know exactly what you need and you don't even have to ask. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And there is, um, you know, to do a bit of the pros and cons, I always think about cancer because it's cardinal has the reactive responsive um, tone to it. So it can be quite responsive because it's cardinal water. So this is like if something happens, we've got to adapt to circumstances or change our plan, if you like. It's not the Scorpio version of water where we're like, oh, my God, something's happened. We're just going to keep doing what we were doing. Um, But there is a reactiveness which sometimes manifests as a sensitivity or a moodiness that we see in the sign of cancer. Um, That it, you know, if it doesn't get what it needs or it doesn't get that level of protection or care, there can be, you know, the emotional response to that. Too. Yeah. Well, and cancer planets are really tuned to comfort. They're like, mm, I'm not comfortable here. Yeah. Or I don't feel safe here. Yeah, well, and that's, uh, those are, that, that goes into, if you don't feel safe, you can't feel comfortable. I would yeah. say. Um, they're just, yeah. But the like, yeah, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm like that. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I think I need a little bit of this to be in the right state to do this. And maybe I'll drink some water. And, you know, like there's just a like, there's a cultivating one's state in one's like perfect bubble shell. Um, and, mm. you know, as a cardinal sign, cancer sets out to like 
this is how it's going to be. I'm going to create this little world. I'm going to create a world that feels like this and, mm-hmm. um, and then armor it so nobody can interfere with it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because the other sign that's associated, of course, with that comfort is Taurus and, and the connection between Taurus and Cancer is the moon, that the moon rules Cancer and the moon is exalted in Taurus. And that the combination of Taurus Cancer is a really, I always think of mud straight away, which is nourishing. And, you know, it, it's, you get this really lovely growth and richness from those two coming together. But all of that moisture comes from the sign of Cancer. Those are definitely the two like nurturing signs of all the signs of the zodiac. I mean, the only one that's maybe closer in any way might be Pisces, but that's in a much different way of, of more like charity or something. Yeah, Pisces might forget to feed you, but Taurus will but, cancer. But won't. Pisces cares about your soul. It, that's it, the thing. It just, the, the orientation is different. Yeah, it just for yeah, it, yeah. Um, or, or like a Virgo is very helpful. Like it's helpful. very helpful, but in a practical, tangible kind of way because it's Earth. Right. Like um, let me fix your fix your car yeah, or something like that. You, yeah. Let me help you solve this. problem. You'll feel better once we do this to do list. You know what? what we'll Correct. feel you'll you'll feel different once you get your chores done. Yeah. Right. Whereas Cancer and Taurus are more like sort of like welcome you into their home and and give you food or something first thing that they think of. Yeah, the Cancer. I think the comfort piece that Austin said was beautiful. The Cancer will want to make you feel comfortable at home. You know, if you ever have to stay in someone's home and they've got Cancer planets, they will have just thought of all these little things that almost make you feel like you're with that archetypal mother energy that somebody has just really taken the time to consider your comfort and gone out of their way to meet that. Yep. And so the problem really? with comfort- There are some problems with cancer. Well, no, or just and with comfort is like what's comfortable changes as quickly as the moon moves. I don't feel like doing this now. I don't know. This, I was like writing. It felt really good earlier, but now I feel like I don't feel like doing this now. And then in an hour, you're going to yeah. feel like doing something else. And so comfort is always relative to that very quick subjective tide. Um, and so, yeah, um, planets in Cancer are subject to the rapid waxing and waning of the moon. And so, you know, on a sort of crude but true level, Cancers are moody as fuck. Right. Yeah. Mo- moodiness. Moodiness is absolutely, and it's an accurate description of the downside of of cancer and the moon is moving so quickly the cancer's mood is just changing equally as quickly yeah i'm right i want to reiterate that just to emphasize it because it's a great additionally this is again being tied into some very specific concrete tangible astronomical thing which is as we were talking about mercury and gemini and how mercury of all of the planets like changes course directions the most frequently um, cancer ruled by the moon, the moon is the planet which is constantly changing phases. And each month it's going from a new moon and it starts increasing in light and building up and getting brighter and brighter. And then it hits a full moon two weeks in, it reaches peak brightness, and then it starts getting dark and dark and dark until two weeks later it, it's at its darkest and has a new moon again. So it's constantly waxing and waning and changing um, in its level of brightness so that there's this astronomical yeah, shift or frequency of its shifts, which then manifests symbolically in some of these things we're talking about with cancer. Yep, it changes it changes position and phase quicker than anything else. Doesn't yeah. change so speed and doesn't change direction like Mercury, but it changes uh, changes phase and position quicker than anything else. 
And you see that quite tellingly from night to night. The moon will be with different star clusters from one night to the next, and it will be a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller than it was the night before in a way that is obvious to the naked eye. Um, So there is that, yeah, the growing and the shrinking. So so changeability or changeable Mm. is probably a good keyword there for for that. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is it's not adaptable or flexible necessarily. No. And what's interesting is about the moon slows down a little bit and speeds up a little bit. She does have a bit of a speed but change. But compared to any, the moon is the most consistent in motion except the sun. Every other planet mm. changes speed much more dramatically. And so, yeah, like yeah. you're moody, you know, if you've got a bunch of stuff in cancer or important things in cancer, but you're consistently moody, right? Like- <laughs> It's not like that's, you know, like that's how it goes. Um, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not, there aren't sudden reversals in the same way. That's true. Yeah. And I think with cancer being, um, you know, it is when it does have its change component, its changeability, if you like, it's usually with a specific goal or purpose in mind. And I think that's the difference between the cardinal quality versus the mutable is that the mutable can just be changing for the sake of changing without necessarily, you know, attempting to go anywhere. Whereas the cardinal is sort of changing with a purpose. Oh, the circumstances have shifted. We've adjusted our goal and now we're doing this. Yeah, well, I would say cardinal. Or or it can be appealed to emotionally, whereas Gemini might be more changing as a result of an intellectual appeal. Perfect. But yeah, a cardinal sign wants to do something. Cancer wants to nurture, create, grow something. And so- you know, it has to deal with the tides of the moon to do that, but it's trying to do something to establish comfort, safety, cultivation. Whereas, like a, a mutable signs, you know, in a, in an uh, in a caricature sense, they wake up and they're like, "I don't know what's today going to be about. I'll find out." Whereas a cardinal sign yeah. will wake up and be like, "I'm going to try to do this today, and I will deal yeah. with what's between me and and my goal." But that's different than like you know. Mutable's like, okay, what is it? Tell me. And then I'll figure out who I'm going to be or how I'm going to react to that. It's They're reactive. Yes. Brilliant. I like it. All right. Um, any <clears throat> final words that we want to mention with respect to cancer before we move on? Have we done a sufficient like good thing, bad thing coverage? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Deep, the deep, un- caring, deep- moody, needy. So, so they, yeah, they sometimes can be a little bit of a cautious or a conservative, um, and then the idea of vintage or sentimental. Some of the other keywords that can be relevant for cancer. Yeah, sentiment, sentimental is a good one. But I feel like we've given it a good treatment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, let's move on to sign number five. So we have Leo. Oh, yeah. Leo, which All the, is like radiance, you know, it's like spirit fingers. It's like right. we need a big bright sun to come on this. I think uh, your Jupiter's right. gonna have to handle this one, Kelly. I know. I was like, oh, that was me because I have Jupiter. There. <laughs> so uh, Leo is a masculine, uh, fixed, and fire sign, which is ruled by the sun, and those are its four primary properties or qualities. So where do we start with Leo? Radiance, maybe. Uh, Radiance. Well, also just in terms of the sun, like the sun in the solar system is the body that all the other planets in the solar system revolve around. It is the center. The center, center of the solar system. So, end of attention. 
The center of everything. <laughs> the center of attention, right. So the sun is like the celestial body that everybody sees every day, that everything else yeah. depends on. It's the most obvious because we have sunrise, we have mm -hmm. you know noon when the sun is directly above head, and then we have sunset. So everything, it's the most visible and... Yeah, that's a good one. And there's, if we think about the astronomical components, there is a steadiness and a consistency to the sun's path through the, the sky that is quite unique. Like there is, do you know what I mean? There's this sort of like, he doesn't change speed a lot, no, for instance. Yeah, He's it, not varying off the ecliptic. It's like one degree um, every day it moves forward. It's, yeah, it's day the in, most day consistent out. in motion and light of all the planets. And we have the sun ruling a fixed sign. So we're going to really see that consistency. And whenever I teach on Leo, I always talk about my dad, who is Leo. And he is the kind of fellow that even though I've lived in another country for 10 years, I can still tell you what time train my dad takes in the morning to work. And I know exactly when the phone rings at five to five of an afternoon that it's dad calling from a certain stop on the train line. And if mum leaves the house at that time, she will coordinate with his train to pick him up. They have a very traditional style of relationship and he'll be home because his schedule hasn't changed in about 25 years. Um, even though he's maybe there's been a couple of different companies along the way, he still keeps to the same hours and the same train schedule. That consistency um, it's infuriating if you don't have a lot of fixed planets, for instance, because it doesn't change. But in the same way, you know, that Taurus, the, the, the fixed quality gives both a positive and a negative. This, the, um, positive of the fixed is that you can rely on it. But the negative of the fixed is that if you want to change it, good luck to you because it's a bit of an immovable type force. Right. So that can be. Uh, that can be good and bad. I mean, we have consistency or feelings of like, um, one of the things that's really important to Leo is, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's like the importance of being um, true in, in like a relationship or like stability or like pledging your support, not just support, but like like fidelity. What's the term I'm searching for where like, uh, you know, in the negative not sense- Not loyalty. Loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty. Loyalty. Super, yeah. super important. And loyalty super, is- Yeah. Incredibly lo lo loyal. And that loyalty though is like an outgrowth of what you're talking about in terms of that consistency. Like loyalty is, you know, pledging that you will have a permanent sort of consistency to another person. Yeah. You can write it in- stone basically if if a leo makes a promise to you if you like because there's something about because leo is the sign of the sun so there's a, an awareness of being seen so it's not just that internal i want to be consistent but it's the awareness that i will be observed if i'm not consistent so there's maybe it's the pride piece that comes in around i want to do this but also want to be seen to be doing this mm. Right. So I don't I don't want to lose in the in the in the public if you like because if you do have planets in Leo you will be seen or they will be seen. Right. And sometimes that can have a that's a, a you know a positive thing in terms of being seen but it can also be a negative thing in terms of it's one of the first ones where we run into almost like an issue of appearances sometimes being like overplayed in some sense or, mm. or an overemphasis on appearance in a in a negative way or a way that sometimes can be um, like a, a sort of shallowness in some sense. Yeah, because the one thing, Leo is very sensitive to the feedback, the external feedback basically. So they can sometimes attach to 
you know, they, they're looking for sometimes that external feedback rather than staying true to themselves. And I think because that's sort of the shadow side, the goal of, of the Leo energy, I think, is to find that authentic spark or that authentic light and to express or to radiate that um, as often as possible. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, you know, if we're talking about fixed fire, right, you know, we're talking about maintaining a fire and fire is hungry and uh, mm. you have to constantly feed a fire. Right. That's just it's <laughs> just the way it is. Um, and yeah. so that, uh, you know, there's a question with individuals with with a lot of with, you know, significant planets in Leo. Where is that fuel coming from? Right. Uh, is it coming from a, a depth of knowledge of one's, you know, soul? Is it coming from, you know, what's it feeding on? Is it feeding from positive from likes on Facebook? Where, you know, what is the what is the fire feeding on and what are you? What are you feeding the fire if you have planets in Leo? Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And the fire image, I mean, that we talked about the, the ignition of Aries, and I always think of Leo as like the hearth fire that burns all night. But you do have to make sure you fed it well so that you'll still have warm embers in right, the morning. Right, you can't let the sun go out. Uh-uh. Uh, one of the other qualities that comes up very frequently with Leo is having this like regal quality. Um, mm. like other synonyms are like royal, kingly, queenly, princely, but this like regalness to it. Where is that coming from symbolically, or what are some of the connecting themes that might be connected with that? Well, I mean, sun. It's the sun. I'm sure it's the sun, the sun because is. the sun. It, you know, mythologically, we talk about the sun when we talk about um, like Oriental and Occidental planets. We talk about planets like preceding the sun or staying up after the sun, with the image of the sun as as the solar deity. The king, or the well, like, it would have been a king historically. Right. Um, well, no, that's so yeah. important. It's like the king. Like if you it were is. to assign, if you were to look at, and and they did in the ancient world, like the planets. One of the analogies was like a, a royal court or like a society. Like the sun yeah. would be the king. Yeah, Mercury can be the page, and Venus can be the courtiers, or what have you. But the sun is the yep. king, and so you do see a lot of that leadership quality or figurehead quality coming through with with the Leo sign. Right, and that's part of the performative quality of the sun in Leo is you have to perform leadership. Like leading, you know, like you have to inspire, you have to um you have to command confidence, you have to command which way things go. Like you have leadership is not something which is like quietly calculated in a quarter. It has to be it has to be performed. Right? And so, you know, with Leo we have you know, the the rousing, you know, the rousing political speech as well as, you know, the Shakespearean play as well as the bad reality show, right? There's the the performative quality is very important. I would also say one thing that doesn't get talked about as much with Leo is that it's a very, it's actually a very physically vigorous sign. Uh, the sun, mm-hmm. the sun has a lot to do with physical vigor. It rules, you know, Leo rules the heart area and then the sun also rules the spine. Like that's, mm. that's your, that's your cardio, right? Yeah. Or that's, that's, all of this you know, the, the heart pumps the blood throughout the entire body, right? Like the sun. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you see a lot of vigorous specimens when they, when, you know, you got somebody with sun and Leo in the first. Like, you know, you, you have like a, a vigorous, active, like strong and healthy sort of quality. And then that fire um, isn't just like, you know, air can be just mentally active. Uh, it'll tend towards the mental, whereas fire is both 
mentally and physically active and young or exert exertive. You know, it, Yes, I agree. You see that physicality in fire quite a lot and the need for physical activity or physical movement or even work that might have a physical component to it. Yeah, well, and you can't perform without using the body, right? No. You know, if you're, there's one, you can get up there and read the words to a lecture, but no, then- No, to perform, you must embody. Right, you, you know, you listen, yeah. this, uh, you know, like you got to be there physically as well as mentally. Yeah. Right. Yes. So that sort of goes back to this idea of like that which animates other things, or it has this an animating quality Absolutely. that is sort of central. That's all sun stuff, I yeah. think. Yep. The animation. Yeah. And it, you know, the idea of generating things, because if we go back to our garden, nothing will grow without the sun. It's, it's absolutely critical. Yep. Right. So it has the, the ability to animate other things just by virtue of being itself. And yeah, it, it's it's an enlivening um, type of quality. Right, enlivening. That's really good. Or like vivifying, is that? Yeah. I think that's the word. Vivifying is also a good word. illuminating. Yes. If, you right. know, if have you, I don't know if either of you ever been to um, uh, a one man show or one woman show where it's like, you yeah. know, it, it's it's the most Leo thing ever where somebody's like, let yeah. me tell you my story. And they, they kind of like perform, you know, a piece that, tells you a lot about what it's like to be a person and about living that life. It sheds light on, you know, a whole course of experience. It's very Leo. Yeah. I, there was yeah. an astrologer once that I met that wanted to give a talk uh, for a group I was organizing and he wanted to give a talk just on like what it was like to be a, to be a Leo <laughs> or what the sign Leo was like. And it was because he had like a stellium in that sign. And I thought it was just like the most Leo thing ever that. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, this is like a clear Leo cliche come to yeah, life. Let me tell you right. what it's like for me to be a Leo. I'm sure everybody will be into it. Everybody wants to know this, don't they? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, well, I can think of two of my favorite sports people, which are obviously going to be tennis players, are both Leos, Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, and uh, that staying power, if you like. Mm -hmm. But the, there's a strength to Leo Absolutely. that I think sometimes gets overlooked. Um, you know, this it is fixed fire. It's focused fire. There's drive and determination. You know, we are never saying die. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, and it's a bestial sign. It's not a human-shaped sign. That's a, yeah. We didn't really talk a lot about these, but there is something <laughs> in Leo where we operate from that primal instinct, um, which is the bestial part. Well, it's it's and, and I don't know if it's been stated, but Leo is literally means the lion, or Leo means lion in Latin. Oh yeah, I think we we might have just assumed, but yes, we should state that. But yeah, with, right. with Leo, you've got <clears throat> I would say Leo operates from me, but me there are a lot of different me's. There's the me of the body. There's, there's the yeah. me of the, like, of the, um, emotional psyche. There's the, the me in a spiritual sense. You know, there are a lot of me's. Um, but, you know, Leo, so whereas cancer spirals in and spirals out of the center, Leo radiates from the center, right? And that center is one of those me's or all of those me's. Um, but it's, you know, it's radiance from a point. Mm. Right. So, and that can have its positive and negative manifestations. I mean, the negative manifestations obviously are clear in terms of the potential for being like overly self involved or something like that. 
but I've seen it's interesting seeing like a natural positive manifestation of that of just centrality in a social sense of being able to just by being present being able to like organize things around you or having people organize themselves around you and you being a centering force in a social circle just by virtue of being yourself or doing just doing things naturally right, which is um absolutely vital to leadership right right um yeah being that organizing intentional force and I was going to say something, uh, hopefully I'll remember. Um, so shadow side, um, things like pride, pride is a positive thing, but it being like overly prideful, what's the, there's like a specific term for that, isn't there? Well, pride. Uh, su- I mean, it's pride. I guess pride. Uh, pride. I, I believe pride. in Latin, yeah. it's superbia is the sin <laughs> that gets translated as pride. The deadly sin is superbia, which is um, yeah. being thinking that you're better than other people which is different than feeling feeling like really knowing and seeing the value of who and what you are right that that's the positive that's positive i mean that's that's the positive part of layer satisfaction from your achievements or something right and so the the, you know superbia which is the actual deadly sin is thinking you're better than which is different from valuable in and of itself I would also add with, with Leo people, um, the ones that I've known who a lot of Leos that I know, um, have this ability because they're good at me. They can just point and say, you, that's who you are. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Like there's an ability to be like, Oh, you're a, you're, you, you two are a star. I'm a star. Isn't it amazing being a star? You're a star. You're, you know, you're putting off nuclear radiation by the, uh, by the truckload. <laughs> But they're like the the like psychologically um, only minimally damaged Leos that I know are can all kind of just do that. They're like me, and they're like you, us. We're all these things. We're all these radiant great things. And there's a warmth and positivity when you know, as long as the, again, the, the you don't have strong counterindications in a chart. You have that quality, the ability to shine a light, the spotlight on somebody else as a positive. Yeah illuminating yeah. again off to use yeah their illuminating skills or illuminating skills to illuminate something in you or in others to recognize that essence of you-ness because i think one thing leo does very well is well particularly the sun in leo for instance is there's a real sense of this is who i am you know these are my limits there's a firmness there's often a setting standards it's sometimes in modern astrology just described as like it's the sign of luxury um, but it, it's very much like I will, I will, I know what I deserve or I know what I'm worth and I won't back down until I, you know, if you can't give me that, that's fine. I'm going to keep going, but there's a holding steady yeah, to that. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, you know, some of the, we've talked about a lot of positive qualities. Some of the negative downsides can be things like arrogance or self aggrandizement. Oh, my way or the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Tyrannical. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I would also say thirsty. You know, the sun dries everything out. Mm, Dude, Leos hungry. get thirsty. Yeah. They're, you know, it's like, oh, I need some more attention. Tell me I'm great. Click on my thing. Dude, there's total like thirstiness is dried out by this, you know, dried out by that Leo. Sure. Super um, interesting. What other, I mean, you know, in the, in the news, we've seen like a lot of like somebody, I saw some astrologers say there was a Leo rising recently that's like set Leos back a few decades um, because we've seen like a lot. Yeah, of- there's a very negative manifestation of Leo in the mainstream world right yeah, now. Yeah, or I did this, sure. and it's great because it was me that did it. 
which is why yeah. the sun I can make everything which is great. why the sun is exalted in Aries because Aries is like I'm going to do something great and then you'll believe in me whereas Leo's like yeah. it's great because I did it or or just but I am well, great well yeah, I'm literally the best in the world well, or thinking that yeah. you're the best in the world. well and also what you see with Leo people is if there's like damage uh, if there's like bad self-esteem uh damage everything that they do is exactly as bad as they think they are like that internal self-image and valuing gets projected onto everything where it's like nope it's not great because i'm not great and that's you know it that's just the flips that's a whole um like that's a broken sun thing yeah it's just the flip side if it's great because i'm great is that it's terrible because i'm terrible because i'm terrible hmm all right. And um, last, I mean, we already touched upon this, but the sun, uh, one of the associations with the sun that I always found interesting is the eyes and the ability mm-hmm. to the sight, the sense of sight. And this is probably mm-hmm. where some of the like sight visual, visual type things are coming from, where in a positive sense with Leo, it's about, you know, being seen and, you know, being seen as important, but sometimes the negative side being like the overemphasis on, the visual or performative aspects of things. Um, status. You know, I guess we've status, right? Status symbols or the, the vision of status without necessarily having the substance underlying it, but the, the, the sort of appearance being, appearances being more important almost than anything in some ways. Yeah. I, th- I think that uh, that visual component is super important. Seeing others, being seen, what does it look like? Performance, you know, it's all, yeah, it's all there. And you got to see it through the right eye, right? Right eye is the sun. Right. Yeah. Isn't the moon's the left mm-hmm. eye, right? Yeah. The luminaries. Although there's some yeah. that say, like Porphyry says that it's yes, flitch, the other flipped way for around. men and women. Men and women. Yeah. I have and, no idea but, if but that But that Porphyry, that's um, like that he is a, uh, that's a, vo- that's a, dis- that's a, what's the word? An exception to the rule. The vast majority of sources all over the world do sun, right eye, moon, left eye. And that's that's sure. in in astrology. That's in a bunch of stuff. You find that in esoteric Taoism. Like it's just everywhere. It's in Egyptian mythology. The right, the sun and moon are the, like the right and left eyes of Horus. Like sun and moon, uh, as sun sun right, moon left is almost universal with some with a few important points of disagreement. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of a broader thing that sometimes comes up in ancient astrology that there's sometimes questions about in modern astrology, which is are thing are certain things flipped based on gender, and is that true? Is that actually true in practice? Is that still appropriate or not? Like you know, Mars Venus stuff sometimes is said to be flipped based on gender. Different questions surrounding that. That's a whole can of worms we don't necessarily need to get into, but. It's one of those things that exists as an interesting conceptual as well as practical issue still nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll save that for another podcast. So um, anything else we need to mention about Leo before we move on and and go to our final sign? I don't think so. I mean, we could do like a brief wrap up, like leadership qualities, performance qualities, strong, Mm. um, radiant attention hungry egocentric um you know that's relatively balanced i just want to leave it on a positive note because i don't want to get a bunch of hate mail. i said four nice things uh, and only two negative things okay all right then i think i think that's good 
Are you good, Kelly? I mean, Leo, yeah, Leo gets the word radiant. So I just think there's, you know, the potential for good is definitely the, you know, the, the, the scale skews that way in this sign, all other things being equal, which I understand in many cases they're not. But, I would also add yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a very particular flavor of Leo honesty. Mm. And so, and then, you know, cause it, and it's, it's, it rules the heart, right? Speaking from the heart, which isn't, you know, from which isn't necessarily like sophisticated and smart, like speaking from the brain. Um, but no, it's more primal. Yeah. Um, and this is probably connected with something that Kelly and I were talking about when you, a few, a little bit back, which is like the signification of like fidelity being associated with Leo and like faithfulness to a person. Um, and, and themes of like loyalty and support and allegiance and even like obedience being very important for Leo. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's, you know, it's the heart. And we, we skipped it on cancer, but cancer is like the upper chest. Like when you're like, oh, I have a feeling, you clutch the cancer part. If you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm offended and you clutch your pearls, which are the stones of the moon, you're clutching the cancer part, right? Cancer is that upper chest yeah. feeling. And then Leo is more little little bit further down right next to the diaphragm in the solar plexus that there's a little bit of a, an issue sometimes there with the assignments though because it's like in order if you're going from from the top to the bottom it should be like cancer then leo yeah that's what i just described. but there, there's that's what you just yeah. described however there's an inversion where leo is assigned to the heart but cancer is often assigned to the stomach well that i uh, i think that that's conflating two different systems so there's planets and organ systems and signs and organ systems and but that's different from body sections um there's an overlap between those two but those are those are there's like body structure but then there's function and organs are function whereas you know the top down is is structure Right. So in cancer also, you know, refers to the uh, the breasts, obviously, which are on the chest, but it also refers to a certain degree to the womb. Um, you know, Mars speaks to the adrenal glands, but rules the head and the genitals. Um, I think you need to deal with the the organ function and the body structure area things as two separate lists that combine at certain points. One is like inner part of the body. One is like outer structure. Sure. And that's a good point. It's funny. It's surprising that we didn't mention that with the breasts for cancer because that then ties in directly to the nurturing aspects of cancer, mm. basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the breasts and the belly because the belly is where we take in the yep. food. Right. Um, yeah. Brilliant. So it's the giving and the receiving of essential nourishment. Right. Brilliant. The first and waters. If you, yeah. And it, when you said that, just made me think of my sister's baby, who's this very healthy Taurus baby. That is just being breastfed and is growing like. So I was, so, you know, I have Jupiter and cancer on the rising and um, I was uh, an extraordinarily heavy baby because I would literally, I was like a dog. I would just eat until I couldn't eat anymore. My parents left me with like a sitter for the first time when I was two and I gained 10 pounds in two weeks because she was just did they leave you for two or maybe weeks? Maybe it was a week, but I, I like gained ten pounds because I. She was so excited. She was ate. so excited that yeah. I was delighted to eat whatever food she gave me. <laughs> which is which is atypical of a two year old because they're often quite fussy or they want this and they yeah, don't not want me. that. So Ma- just yeah. mash it up and so- put it in my face. But. But cancer rising is going to be, and cancer rising does have this. It comforts itself through food. Planets in cancer will often 
seek yeah. food to comfort and they can have issues with that as a result. Yeah, I was probably emotionally eating because my parents were gone for Correct. the first time. Also, I have Jupiter there. Jupiter is a good eater. Yeah. Well, Pisces rising or Sag rising have issues with lack of boundaries too. So cancer we'll is something which, which grows and thrives when it is fed. Well, uh, fed. which is interesting, you know, which is interesting because that which can be overdone, of course. But yes. then we, there's an interesting thing with Leo and the sun there, where it's something that grows and thrives when provided with attention, mm-hmm. um, yes. and can sort of wither in the same way that cancer, if it's not fed, can sort of wither without having that sustenance or that nourishment. Leo similarly can kind of wither. When it's not given this sort of attention that it that it Correct. sort of uh, that it desires or that it needs in some on some level, yeah, that's a it good kinda, point. It does need it. Was, it. That's the yeah. uh, you got to keep those both of those torches burning, right? The night torch, Cancer, the Moon is a it's a different kind of torch. You got to feed it emotionally and physically, but you got to feed Leo psychically. But you're right; like they both they're both hungry in their own way, and they which is interesting because yeah. they both provide the most light. But you got to fuel the fire, even if it's a moon fire. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is really interesting because they both emit light and that becomes part of their underlying meanings as well, like the ability to emit light and to illuminate things. But then they require it. They require that as well in some sense in order to thrive. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No free lunch. Yeah. Right. No All free right. light. Awesome. Well, I- <laughs> I think that is good for for Leo. So why don't we move on to our final sign, the sixth sign, which is Virgo. So Virgo is a feminine sign. It is a mutable sign. It is a earth sign, and it is a uh, it is ruled by Mercury. So this is our first one that we get to where it's ruled by. It's the first sign that we've come to where it's ruled by two planet, or it's two signs ruled by one planet. So we get to see some of the other manifestations of the same planet, and there's some similarities or overlaps, but it's also manifestations in a in a different way in some sense. We see the other aspects of Mercury coming through Virgo. Yeah, and so let's start with uh, let's just start with the body, right? So once we get down below the solar plexus, we've got guts, and Virgo is about Virgo rules the guts. It rules the breadbasket, right? It rules the 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 ability to assimilate and digest what you've taken in, which is exactly what it does on a mental level as well, right? This mm. is yin mercury, which is like, I hear you. Let me break that down and fact check it. Mm. Yeah. Into its like smaller components. And that's one of the Smallest interesting things. Right? And you figure out right. what's, what's good, like what's food and what's um, shite, you know? Waste. Yeah. What are, what? Yeah. Yeah, we don't need to keep that. You know, I read his book. I like the way he did this and that, but you know, this 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 part was garbage. It's like you know, it's it's just it's separating or discriminating between you know uh, between what's good and what's bad, what's worth keeping, what's not worth keeping, what's smart, what's stupid, what's true, what's false. Because again, we're back at a, a mutable sign, which is dual. Right. Yeah. And and this sign more than any other sign seems to deal with that which is small, which we touched upon already with the with Mercury ruling Gemini and being opposite to Sagittarius ruled by Jupiter and this this division between that which is small and that which is large. But Virgo even more so seems to deal with that which is small. And we've you've already touched on that with digesting things, because in order to 
digest something, part of the process of that is breaking it down into its smallest possible components that can be digested. But there's other ways that that focusing on that which small manifests in, in so many different ways with Virgo, even in really funny, like sometimes negative ways, like um, being nitpicky is like a Virgo mm-hmm. trait. And that's like focusing like on the details or overly focusing on the details in some sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Virgo is very obsessed with the minutia, if you like. One of the skills of Virgo is that it's able to assess and analyze and break things down into those components so that Virgo has a really great kind of diagnostic skill around this little tweak here or this little change here is actually going to have quite a big impact. So Virgo is really looking for an improvement around efficiency. So to make a system or a process, um, you know, take less time and still achieve the same result or require less resources. Um, And the difference, yeah, with the Mercury, like the nighttime yin version of Mercury here, the earthy nature of it, I always think of this as applied Mercury. You know, in Gemini, we've got Mercury that is just really interesting, you know, to learn things and to act on things. And here in Virgo, we've got that reflective analysis going on to to synthesize or to do the sorting the wheat from the chaff, which we have in the small intestine, um, which is the very Virgo part of the body. But it's what we're doing. We have to be, I think one of you guys used this word, discerning or selective. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're assessing things, good quality, not what I'm after. And we're constantly, you know, moving things out or putting them into the right place. Right. Even though it's a it's a mutable sign and it's a Mercury ruled sign, um, that earthy component of Virgo seems to remove a lot of the like flighty qualities that we get in Gemini more. And there's much more of a almost like substance and, and a, still almost like a slowness that, that still comes in with Virgo. I don't know, maybe slowness isn't the right term. There's some term I'm reaching for there. There is a steadiness that Virgo has because it's it's the only earth mutable sign. There is, it right. seems a little more stable relative to the other mutable signs. Yeah, I would agree with right. that. Like um, programming, like one of the things you were talking about just now, Kelly, it made me think of like programming um, mm. as like a Virgo type thing, like programming computers or, or something like that. Well, I think of when I think of Virgo, I think of um, editing because it's like yes. Gemini, Gemini says word. all the words and Virgo's like, okay, yeah, we can get rid of this paragraph. This sentence can be yeah. half as long. Let's think about using this word here it's just going to come off slightly better virgo fact checks you know gemini just says all the things <laughs> and then virgo's like yes. okay well so let's and like you said earlier break it down right that's what the intestines do and when we're like okay let's stop and really get into this and take it apart before we put it back together right let's break it down right like and that's what virgo yeah. does is it breaks it down into it into its component pieces, looks at their relationships, decides, you know, and when you're looking at a process for efficiency, like you mentioned, Kelly, right? Like let's break down how, you know, our, our, the way we're managing our time. What are we doing here? Does this feed into that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the other word that I often think of with Virgo is the mechanics of things, um, which is kind of what you're talking about there. Also, where you pull things down into their pieces, um, just to make sure that it's all working well or to see if it can be made better. 
And one of the downsides of Virgo, of course, is that idea of not being able to save the forest for the trees because they can get, unfortunately, a little obsessed on this little bit of the bark here and they miss the larger picture. And we could bring in the, the Virgo-Jupiter polarity yeah, the, again. Same as the Gemini Yeah, Sag. I mean, the Virgo trap is getting stuck uh, on that tree and forgetting the forest. I remember a yeah. long time ago in college, the uh, our layout editor for the paper we were doing uh, was a Virgo moon guy with lots of Virgo stuff. And the other editor was making fun of how detail oriented he was and was like, she said, um, she was like, yeah, you know, cause he also, he had carpentry as a hobby. And she was like, yeah, you know, I can just imagine you there sanding a table leg until it snaps in two. And he like kind of yeah. looked funny for a second. And he's like, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. Forgetting that it, yeah, if you make this piece so perfect, it will destroy the integrity of the entire Right, or table. just trying to get that one part perfectly smooth, you know, <laughs> you end up with no leg. Um, and that yeah. that's that's the, you know, that's the Virgo trap. Um, and I, just about Virgo being a mutable sign and therefore being reactive and flexible, you know, when you put something in front of Virgo, Virgo's like, hmm, how does it work and how can I make it better? What's what's not yeah. perfect about this that I can that I can change? It's a reacting to what's placed in front, and that, and that's and adaptab- adaptability. Yeah, and it's sort of like, hmm, okay, well, let me let me let me take a look at this. Right, my knee hurts. Well, let me take a look at this. Well, you got some swelling here. There's some discoloration here. If you move it this way, does it hurt? Right, Virgo, 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 Virgo. Yeah. I do think there's a very genuine desire inside the Virgo archetype to improve oh, things. Oh, yeah. And so right. they're nitpicking and they're nagging or that, you know, that can come across in a very critical way. Um, they do – there's a, that the dryness of Virgos. It's just very much like this will make whatever it is better, whether it's your problem or our problem or something about me. But it is – that's one of the difficult traits of Virgo is that perfectionism and that self-criticism. Yeah. Um, I, I, Which is I have very, a, I, very I got to tell uh, just a very brief anecdote. So Kate, my wife, has a Venus and Virgo. And a, a significant amount of the time when we go get like takeout food, she will then spend 10 minutes improving it on the stove. Like she'll be like, these quesadillas <laughs> aren't exactly right. And she'll like crisp them up a little bit or like, yeah, I really like their spaghetti or whatever it is. We don't order a lot of spaghetti, but um, you know, and then she'll be like, yeah, I'm going to add a little bit of oregano and then maybe a dash of hot red pepper, but she'll like, she'll be like, mm, yeah, this is the food I want and I'm going to make it better. I love it. Yeah. And it it is better yes. when she does that, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, I think we do have to be fair to Virgo because they cop a lot of slack, a lot of crap about being so pedantic and critical, but their suggestions or their input have great value. Um, and you know, it's definitely worth taking on board. Right. Definitely. Um, so that discerning qualities is super important and there's other keywords like synonyms that go along with that, which are like discriminating, astute, intelligent, selective, uh, and then that helpful component that like, what is that? It's like a helpfulness they, or a desire to help and to play a they supporting do like to role. to be of service. Yeah, service, helping, supporting, um, even a bit of like healing, not in a sort of a mystical way, but you often see Virgo planets having an inclination towards um, medical or health professions in some capacity. 
Um, and so there, there is a very genuine desire that's very humble. You know, Leo, we, in Leo, we wanted to be seen. We wanted to be acknowledged. We wanted to be adored. And in Virgo, we just want to Virgo, help. it's like, right. let me fix it. Well, yeah. it's doing it and then not getting credit for it necessarily or not necessarily even wanting credit for it, but just doing it. Yeah, for Virgo the sake doesn't of... need the credit. It just wants the well, job. Well, the sun well done. in Virgo does because it's the sun. And the sun, the sun that's always true. The needs sun, to be but- seen. But that's specific to the yep. sun in Virgo. I don't think the pure energy of Virgo itself needs. No, it's it's um, a very objective orientation. It's like there's a you know ah I fixed it and now it's good. Yeah, and now you know now yeah. it works perfectly. Like there there's that's right. the pleasure having satisfaction in that. Yes, or, that's or like the satisfaction I, yeah, and that, pleasure. Yeah, having having a, no that's good. Having like getting a feeling of satisfaction from fixing something or optimizing mm-hmm. it so that it's running it at full capacity. Optimizing. That's the Virgo word. Yeah. Sure. So for, before I forget this, because I've been meaning to mention it for a while, it's often in a modern context, in like a new age context, it got tied into like ideas of like evolution and spiritual evolution. And, and I that doesn't really sit well with me. And that's not the religious or philosophical context that I approach it from, but there is something about the signs of the zodiac that we can see as we're going through them in order where the sign that follows after the previous sign, there's always some sort of like corrective or um, some sort of modification of the quality that's directly related to, and you can see as almost like a change and a shift in the previous quality. And, And I don't know how to fully take that i want to take that outside of like an evolutionary or spiritual context but there's some other there's something going on there and i don't know fully how to frame that do you guys how do you talk about that is that something you've addressed when you try to teach this the idea because sometimes it gets abused in saying that you know aries is the youngest sign and pisces the oldest sign or something like that which is not which is a little bit weird but there is some sort of like almost developmental component as you go through the signs of the zodiac at least when you treat them in pairs of seeing Leo and its sort of self-aggrandizement or its focus on the self sometimes, or, or which can sometimes be we egocentric. We could say maybe self-actualization. Yeah, self-actualization versus, let's say, Virgo. And there's sometimes being this like sense of selflessness w- associated wor- with World it. optimization. Right. I mean, I don't know. Kelly, do you? is that something you... Ever. Yeah, I get the point that you're making and I do think it's true and I agree with you that it's a little hard to kind of put into words, which is um, that piece around how one sign is so different. It's almost dealing with the, like, say when Leo runs a mark and we get too much, we get an excess of Leo, the Virgo is like a counterbalance right. to that. It does almost yeah. like counter counter it and so some of the qualities are like almost countering well, I, the, the ones of the previous The sign. circle has to stay yeah. balanced. Right. Like, so you have to, like, you have to have balance within that system or, or else it's Mm. not a circle anymore. Right. Like you, each sign, you have to have signs neutralizing signs, um, or else it's, you know, it goes off, you know, it goes off in a direction rather than staying a perfect circle. So maybe that, that's just part of what we're seeing as a byproduct of like those, the, the three or the four primary underlying qualities and what happens when you're alternating from one to another and going from a, feminine sign to a masculine sign and going from a fixed sign to a mutable sign or going from a a fire sign to an earth sign and some of the things that happen as a result of that. Yeah, because it wouldn't hold together as a system if it weren't balanced, right? But the idea is that it's 
it's you know the zodiac doesn't change it's it's balanced okay and and, and I, yeah go just really quickly i just realized what it was it's because it's it goes back to the aspects and the idea of like aversions and stuff and it's because like the counter the counter qualities are the ones that it, it's so starkly different because you're switching from the idea of aversion of signs that can see each other or aspect each other that they have some affinity because they share something in common but when you're alternating and you're moving from one sign to the next, those two signs that are in Hellenistic astrology, they would call them an aversion. The idea was that they share none of those affinities. So they don't share any affinity according to gender or element or modality. And so that's part of what we're seeing here is we're seeing it contrasted so differently when you're jumping from one sign to the next because they don't share anything in common. That's a great insight, Chris. Mm. Yeah. What were Absolutely. you going to say before I really interrupted? I can't remember because that was really good. No, I was interrupting you. Um, I, it'll come back to me. Okay. Let me know what it yeah. does and just like yeah. interrupt just... if I'm in the middle of saying something. <laughs> no, 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 no. no that was, you, you made a really good point about yeah. the aversion piece there. Well, well, it's something that's dealt with in some of the 20th century astrological literature rather well. And like people like Rudyard deal with it. It's just that this this idea of there being like a cycle or a movement through the signs of the zodiac in a sort of developmental phase or a growth but they often because of the like new age or because of the theosophical background would put it in the context of like 19th century ideas of like spiritual evolution coming from like madame blavatsky and stuff like that and mm. i was just trying to figure out a way to cuz i think there's an element of that that's still there but i'd like to remove it from that that sort of spiritual context, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think it's a way. wheel and that if you learn things as you go around the wheel, then we could call that evolution. But uh, you can also fuck it up worse and worse every time. And you can also just kind of hold her steady. I don't think the nature of the wheel is evolutionary. I do think it's the context of the development that people call evolutionary, although I don't really like that term. Um, but that's that's the playing field, but it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't do the learning or development for you. Right. Or even just with the seasons, there is a, a cycle. There's a circle of like growth and mm -hmm. development. There uh, is. And decay, growth, development, decay, and then right. rest. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, because winter is the rest, right? Well, um, well, and then rest there, ties it in also to the diurnal circle of, of you know, morning, sunrise, cul sun culminating at midday, sunset nighttime everything's resting or everything's asleep and then it wakes up again in the next day well some of yeah. you might, some of you the might rest be is critical yeah yeah i'm actually i know you you guys are usually aren't yeah <laughs> um yeah and i think yeah what i was gonna say is you know these are sort of 12 types as well so they have to be somewhat distinctly different um as we move around just to hold space for the different iterations if you like right yeah that's a really great Great point. So I think we should talk a little, we should address the the symbol of the virgin, because that's a little it's a little weird. You know, we got lions and crabs and bulls, and then here's a virgin. And then a virgin. Right? <laughs> and so this is, you know, this is the this is, you know, the virgin of the fields or the the maid, um, Virgo will get referred to. It's the idea the of like the virgin wheat or the vir you know, the crop before it's been harvested. Which, by the way, mm. don't try to eat wheat without a, a ton of processing, right? Like all of that Virgo, like the separating of the wheat from the chaff, right? That's you take the, yeah. the virgin 
is the thing as it is. And that's what begins the Virgo process of, you know, of taking, you know, of, 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 of processing, you know, the raw wheat into a delicious crusty loaf of bread. So many steps, so much processing. Um, it's not necessarily a sign of um, chastity. That's not really what they're talking about. No, no. So it's about the processing to take a raw, rough diamond or wheat or what have you and what the steps that it has to go to. Um, so it's more like virgin in the sense of like extra virgin olive Perfect. oil or what have you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the raw, unfiltered, original state. Well, and, and knowing when it's time to to harvest, to harvest it, mm-hmm. when something has, has reached that, whatever the age in which it's time to harvest it, like you're saying, I think you're, that's what you're saying at the beginning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's discernment. When is the, you know, if, if, if you do any cooking, like when is, you know, when is the, the, the meat perfectly done and not overdone and not underdone? you know, what are the signs, right? You know, it's earth, right? Like, oh, you get this one smell and then the juices run in this particular way. When is it time to, you know, take it off the heat? It makes me think of, um, you know, teaching my stepkids how to cook chicken. They're like, how do you know if the chicken's ready? I'm like, you stick a thing in this particular part of the chicken under the leg. And when the juice comes out of here specifically clear, you're safe. It'll be all cooked. Um, but that's just an example, I guess, of what you're saying, Austin, is the, the way, the steps by which you go to, through to know when something is ready or ripe or, you know, it, it's at its opportune moment. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't yeah. upset your um, small intestines, which is Virgo. Correct. <laughs> right. Uh, before I forget, I just found the word I was looking for earlier with that idea of like the development of the signs and it's, oh, it's yes. cor- uh, corrective. There's each sign following a sign seems to serve some sort of corrective function in something that was happening in the sign that came before. So we saw this with like Aries and that impulsiveness, that impetuousness, which then just gets slowed down so radically when it comes to Taurus. Um, or we're seeing some of the, we talked already about the, like the self-aggrandizement or the focus on the self and, and you know, with Leo versus um, the helping of others or, or subverting the self in order to help others with Virgo. There's just there's some sort of corrective function that each sign that follows a sign seems to serve. And I think that was the term I was searching for earlier. Yep. That's a, it's a good way to put it. Corrective. Corrective. Yeah. Corrective is a beautiful word. Sure. All right. Um, where are we at? Do you, did you guys time this one? Well, for, this is we all 20? we're doing today. Yeah, oh, no, I feel this like this. I, just, I feel like we've done close to 20 minutes on this one i just want to make sure we didn't shortchange virgo yeah let's do a little positive negative then on virgo positive negative positive like one of the most helpful people i've ever met just genuinely helpful had uh, at least like three planets in virgo or had a heavy virgo emphasis and he was just like one of the most um inventive is a good one but it's um there's a similar term related to inventive but he was just one of the most genuinely helpful persons people i've ever met there's another guy that you and I both know, Kelly, who plays a support role for astrologers, and I think he has a heavy Virgo emphasis. I know. He yes, like he a, does. A super Virgo chart, super Virgo chart, and not just a support role, but in a very technical way, um, the level of detail of the kind of work that this person does is sometimes mind-blowing, actually. 
Yeah, and that's really crucial because it's like behind the scenes, but he's playing such a crucial role. And that then ties back to that idea we were talking about earlier of editors. We were focusing on the editing role, but there's almost something as part of that archetype as well of the important and crucial role that's behind the scenes that they don't get the credit. They're they're the ones maybe they get mentioned in a byline as like thanks to my editor or whatever, but they're playing a super important role in shaping and um, you know, improving things in this supportive capacity, but it's not necessarily recognized, or at least they're not at the front of the lines. They're not the the one in front getting all the glory or something like yeah. that. Yep. Yeah, that'd be the un- unsung type heroes. But yeah, the editor is sort of one of my favorite positive um, manifestations of the Virgo energy, because I do think the improvements that a good editor contributes to a body of writing are phenomenal and impossible to tell at the end of the day. So it's like they come in and they make it better in such a way that you can't even know that you don't even know that they've been there. Um, like Santa's elves right. or something. Leave no fingerprints. Uh, yes. In my yeah. in my book, I had to in my inter- my acknowledgments. My last acknowledgement was to thank uh, my partner Lisa Scheim, who has the Moon in Virgo, and she. It had been the, my book. You know, it's like a six or seven hundred page book, but it had gone through just like many multiple layers of edits by like two or three different people over months and months. And we thought it was done. We typeset it, and I handed it to, her, to Lisa to check out in the last like week before publishing. And she just found like tons and tons of typos that we were going to overlook and commit to printing if she just hadn't like read through it in the last week or two before it was published. And there's just that ability to notice that, to notice the details, to notice the small things that stand out to you because you have this unique ability to see that, that other people might overlook or might miss. Yeah. Something something about that. Yeah, totally. As many typos as I'm guilty of, um, there would be far, far, far more without Kate having looked over a bunch of my stuff. Oh my God. I just realized we all have partners who have personal planets in Virgo. That's funny. Because I always get Peter to proofread my stuff too. And he'll often, he'll not just do the line edits where it's like this word, you know, and his grammar skills are phenomenal. So he'll be like, you need to change this phrase or you've used the wrong tense or whatever. But he'll also do the, the structural type edit where he'll be like, you've gone off track here or this piece doesn't connect to this piece type of thing. And um, I believe the person yeah. who edits this podcast has a Virgo moon as well. There you oh, go. Does, does yep. Steven? Okay. Yeah. So, so shout out to all the wonderful editors in our life because we wouldn't be able to do what we do or to the level of quality. Like that's the thing. The Virgo is doing the quality control. Right. And the people that you see have the support of the Virgo behind the scenes, which helps improve the quality of their output. Right. And on a general quality, note. That's a really good one. Uh, uh, on a general yeah. note, if you're. Quality control. Like a lot of people have Virgo planets, but they have other stuff. And sometimes your quality control parts can get in the way of your being brave enough to put something out there parts. <laughs> that is a beautiful way of talking about the um, the problems of the perfectionist. Yeah, like having yeah. having an eye like that means that you have an eye like that for the flaws in everything you do as well. Um, and yeah. so that's a gift curse. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a person who also wants to be, you know, seen and putting things out there to be seen and you have that Virgo eye, you're like, eh, I can find 8,000 problems with this. It's funny. Um, speaking of other helpers, my wonderful assistant Katrina has a bunch of planets in Virgo and we were talking the other day and 
she's like, but I'm a, I procrastinate. And I'm like, yeah, procrastination is actually a Virgo trait in that sense that it doesn't come from a lack of willingness to do something, but it comes from a concern that what you're trying to do is not going to be good enough. It's not going to live up to that standard you have. And there's this like, I, they get stuck in the, I can't even get started because I haven't figured out the whole plan or I can't conceptualize how it will be perfect. Therefore, I must not start until I get start until I've got that plan. And that's one of the challenges of, of, you know, Virgo planets run wild, if you like, is to figure out or to learn that you can take the first two steps, even if you don't have an entirely perfect plan in full. So per- perfectionism as the potential downfall. Yeah. yeah. And how that manifests and how that can interfere with what Austin's saying about the expression of their own ideas or their own genius, if you like. Right. So there's a, it's funny because there's sometimes like overlap with Saturn, sometimes can come off as almost Virgo y, but there's this idea of um, pedanticness, of being pedantic or like scrupulous or precise or, or exacting. And that's commonly something that comes through with Virgo, but sometimes it can be like a Saturn type thing as well. Yeah, there's a, there's some Venn diagram overlap. Yeah, and I think specifically Mercury-Saturn aspects um, are very much about the standards and the rules of language or the rules of mechanics, whatever it happens to be. Um, but there's definitely crossover. And I mean, I'm sure Austin and I would just say that yes. anyway. Not necessarily. We wouldn't just say it anyway, yes, but having you know, Saturn we both in have Virgo. Saturn in Virgo. I mean, my husband and I sometimes have arguments about the words. Like he's like, "This is a better word for that." I'm like, "No, no, I'm trying to say this." And then the argument is about the word, not whatever we were actually discussing. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that Virgo does on a Saturday yep. night. All right. Word nerding. Good times. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was a good one, Chris. Uh, okay, what, like what else do we want to say? I feel like there's got to be. So, is there anything? That we, have we said enough? We said enough. We said plenty of positive things. Have we said enough negative things about Virgo? Virgo's already very aware think, of the negative things about Virgo. Of neg- yeah, they don't okay. need us to we help need point to, them out. Right. No. I mean, the phrase I often say is paralysis by analysis yeah. for Virgo. So, it's the overthinking that leads that can lead to inaction. Um, and so not every person with Virgo planets relates to that, but many do. Um, but Virgo, as we just all expressed our love for Virgo editors, um, right? They're they're actually wonderful, even if they think they're not. Everyone else thinks they're exceptional. What's um? Because one thing I want to be careful about is not relegating Virgo entirely to a support role. What's a what's a manifestation of Virgo when they are the front man and not playing the supportive uh, role? World famous brain surgeon. Beautiful. That's good. Yeah. Um, uh, there, the technical, the technical, mechanical. Well, the, so working with, yeah, ga- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, um, there are totally finance Virgos who are very good mm-hmm. at accumulating and multiplying money. Yeah, that's a good one, um, Virgo. And and there's like Mercury. It traditionally actually had a lot of like mercantile um, business and, and business and, yeah. and some like banking connotations. And money has only gotten more mercurial over the last fifty years. It's it's not yes. gold coins changing hands. It's numbers and growth rates and interest and you know it's all you know it's all it's all mercurial math time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with credit rates and interest and things like that, that's all very incredibly mercurial. the way it's complex and the way that um, 
large finance packages are put together. Um, very, Sometimes very some good uh, musicians. Uh, I know some musicians that have a lot of like Virgo Risings, like uh, Donald Glover, uh, Childish Gambino has Virgo Rising, oh. uh, Billy Corrigan, Kurt Cobain, of course, famously were born within like a month of each other and both have Virgo Rising and very similar chart placements, although slightly different. Um, Paul McCartney has Virgo Rising. Yeah, um, Freddie Mercury, Sun, um, Mercury, and um, Rising, all in Virgo, and Whitney Houston is Mercury in Virgo as well. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So there's something about the technical proficiency that Virgo has that can lead to excellence in a variety of fields because of the proficiency that that Virgo gives. Right. And speaking of technical proficiency, the two founders of Apple Computers, um, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, both had Virgo rising. Lovely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, although Wozniak's was interesting because he also had Mercury in Virgo. And of course, he was the, the actual programmer at the beginning. Yes. Whereas, uh, Steve Jobs was the front the front guy, the, the guy that More was really of the ideas, at- creative well, person, and then Wozniak yeah, well, and made them. Steve Jobs is also the Mars and Aries guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's very- very combustible. Yeah. Um, well, and, and his was modified by having like Mercury in Aquarius. This is like an important thing, maybe worth mentioning for everybody looking at this in terms of their rising sign, that, that your rising sign and having that as a certain sign of the zodiac will be important in terms of character traits for you, but then it gets modified very heavily by what sign the ruler of the ascendant is located in and modifying those energies and sort of um, blending them in some ways. Yep. That so is the that's a whole separate yeah. topic, though. Um, I think we did it. We made it to the end. It only took us three hours, but we made it through the first six signs of the Zodiac. Excellent. Yay. Uh, yeah, this was awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. This is a lot of fun. Um, My pleasure. We're going to return again next month to do part two and finish up the next six signs of the Zodiac, right? Indeed. Yes. All right. I will be looking forward to that. Um, both of you teach intro to astrology courses or have different like modules where you go more into depth with the signs of the Zodiac, the planets, and other basics in astrology, Absolutely. right? Yes. Okay. I've, I have a six-week class called Practical Astrology for Beginners, I think. And that'll take you through. Actually, in the first module, we're doing signs and houses. So if you, hmm. yeah, if you want more on that, uh, that's what I have as my basic program. And Austin, you, what do you I have? Do, um, four weeks on planets, four weeks on signs, four weeks on houses, and then four weeks on like five other things. But that's the fundamentals class. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. And I address and teach all of this through my course in Hellenistic Astrology, as well as my book, Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, available at fine bookstores everywhere. And I actually forgot to mention our last forecast episode. I finally just released it as an ebook, and you can get it through Google Books. Uh, so go to hellenisticastrology.com slash book, and you'll find a link to the Google Book version, which is now available for everybody who's been demanding for the past couple of years that I release an ebook version. All right, guys. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we did it. Thanks so much. This is awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Let us enjoyed this. Let us know. Uh, thanks to all the patrons who support the podcast and to make this possible each month. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back again. I guess I actually we'll be back again in a couple of weeks to do the forecast episode for November. For November.
Brilliant. All right. Well, until then, I'll see you guys again next month for part two. I'll put the link to that in the description once it's available. And otherwise, that's it for today. So thanks a lot for for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.